So welcome once again to the Coffee and Heroes podcast. You are back with us now for another review show. We are continuing to do our best to get fully caught up on reviews. We just recently released a podcast which dealt with the first two weeks of releases of September. We're now moving on to weeks three and four of September. So releases that were out on the 16th of September and 23rd of September. After that, we're hoping to get back to weekly with a massive 30th of September one, as there was a lot of quality that week as well to chat through. But as ever, your host Alan here, uh, owner and operator of Coffee and Heroes. I'm delighted to join by Mr. Miller. Keith, how are you, sir? I'm good, Alan. Uh, not too bad at all. Thanks very much. Good to hear. And also joined Mr. McCants. How are you, Roddy? Hello. Yeah, all good here. No, no complaints. It's been Just quietly. No, no, I, I was just going to say, it's been so long since I've seen you both, you know, we had secret podcast recordings over the weekend, we had Roddy in the store on Friday, Roddy in the store on Saturday, Keith at the store all week, I haven't seen you boys in ages, you know. <laughs> it's good, isn't it? It's good. Um, I'm just, it's just, it's heartbreaking we can't uh, podcast together and have a few beers and stuff, but I'll, I'll look forward to the day when we can do that. Look forward to the day we can but... get... Uh, Vicky's delicious dinners being cooked for us again. So I still get That's that right. benefit, so I can't complain too much, you know. I was so. I was pretty raging <laughs> pretty raging about a certain dinner that was made. <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thoroughly enjoyed it, so I'll leave it at that. But uh yeah, we're gonna have a ton to get through this week, as I say. We're we're gonna be going through our picks of the week, honorable mentions, all that good stuff, uh giving you a little insight into our pull lists. But as always, we, we like to start off with just a few bits and pieces of sort of pop culture news, I suppose, things that caught our eye this week. Uh, it's interesting. I know, Keith, this weekend you went to see Tenet. Uh, it looks like you may have got into a cinema to see a movie just on time because movies are dropping like flies at the moment. Uh, we've already had Wonder Woman delayed. We've already had Black Widow delayed. And in the last few days now, we have No Time to Die delayed again. And then we have the unfortunate news, maybe half an hour before we came on air. What else got delayed, Roddy? June. Oh, the disappointment. Big, uh, big news. Um, it's really heartbreaking stuff. I believe it was supposed to have a Christmas release, but now it is October 2021. So, Oof. yeah, it's it's bad, 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 bad times for yeah. the cinemas. It was. Uh, you're exactly right, Alan. I, uh, I was I was down in uh, in County Meath, uh, down south, uh, with with Bruno over the weekend and. Uh, and yeah, last night we did get uh, first cinema trip in seven months. And Jesus, the way things are shaping up at the minute, it looks like it might be the last cinema trip in, in seven months because it looks like things might be closing up a wee bit again as we as we, we move into what looks like a second wave. But uh, yeah, cinema was cinema was fairly empty, but it was really interesting because Bruno doesn't pay quite as much attention to movies and releases as we do. And, uh, and there was three trailers uh, on before Tenet. And uh, Bruno was like, "Oh, that looks good." Wonder Woman eighty four. I went, "Yeah, that's delayed." And she goes, "But it says it's out. It's out in cinemas now." I went, "Nope, delayed." She and then it was uh, the the new Bond movie, and she goes, "Oh, but," and I went, "Nope, delayed." And then there was something else. Now she was going, "Is that delayed as well?" I went, "Yep." I went, "You know, they're all every big movie is big releases delayed." But I just my worry is that you know, are there going to be cinemas for these movies to come back to? You do, you, know? you do very much worry about it in the long term. I know that over in England, Cineworld has now is closing up for I think they said five to six months at least, and you know they they don't have these big tent poles to, 
you know, base their whole business around, I suppose. And it is worrying because I'm I'm a big, big fan of the cinematic experience. You know, I here, here. I, I love yeah, midnight sure. screenings for, you know, like going to see Endgame, for example, as a midnight screening was a tremendous experience. You know, I, I'm a big proponent for cinema and, and I'm really enjoying, as weird as it sounds, you know, with lockdown and less movies being released, I'm enjoying that they have actually been able to change their output and start showing us older movies you know I, I think cinemas these days should set aside two screens and be like those are old movies you know imagine seeing indiana jones movies in the cinema again having a bond season right from the start on the big screen the original star wars stuff you know i i think that's what they should do but it looks like we're not even going to be getting new movies coming out in the cinema so my idea is pie in the sky yeah it's hard hard to take i've been i've still been going to qft been about five times since lockdown and um hopefully going to see the david Attenborough film sometime this week but um i must say all their restrictions and um sort of uh, coronavirus protocols are like absolutely fantastic anytime i've been um every precaution is taken in there mm-hmm. but um i think it'll end up maybe being it like cinema might be more prestige destination kind of thing um but yeah, it's heartbreaking to see the chains and everyone involved, the job losses and everything. I don't know. don't know what's going to happen. And uh, I think those two are like, they were the most major films, which is, it's scary. It's scary that they're not taking the chance. And I don't know if it's it's after seeing Tenant and, you know, their business. Like, I think Tenant just it basically just made, made its budget back, didn't it? Like, maybe a bit more, you know, but didn't really do gangbusters obviously or like obviously you know but um i think there's going to be a lot more uh tentative um movie makers at the moment i think that's definitely fair i you know i think tenant in the long term will make will make its money and it'll make its money in home video and oh geez video in home blu-ray <laughs> and home <laughs> and home streaming and all that kind of stuff so it will make money in the long term i mean i i've spoke to a couple of guys in the store about it and you know the the most damning release recently was bill and ted's latest movie it made it came out in the same day on demand as it did in the cinema in the states in the states it made three million dollars in the cinema and over the same period made 35 million dollars at home video so you know I, I think people now they're just they're slightly scared to go out understandably so they don't want to make that journey because they can just watch movies at home everyone has a big tv these days or at least access to one it's it's a real shame. So it's uh it, it's interesting, just as you're saying, uh, companies might be a little bit more tentative about uh, moving forward with movie making. We have the news that Aftershock Comics has announced a TV and film distribution company. Mm, well, <laughs> yeah, they're tentative about the ones they've already made, but it seems these deals just keep coming. Yeah, Aftershock Comics is it. It's a company that I think we've definitely been starting to talk more and more about recently. We've been pointing out some great releases from them. I know uh, Keith really enjoyed Join the Future was one that comes to mind. I'm thoroughly, I think you and I are both reading Dead Day, Roddy, really enjoying yeah. that. There were some great titles when it first launched, the likes of Jimmy's Bastards, the likes of Dark Ark, the likes of Garth Ennis's A Walk Through Hell. So they've actually set up a new company called Aftershock Media, and it's going to have a TV and development distribution um, wing to that business, as well as obviously dealing with comics and graphic novels and so forth. But as I say, I mean, the uh, Aftershock have had some brilliant creators work for them. You know, 
Don, even Donny Cates has worked for them. He did a title called Baby Teeth that is probably going to be fast tracked, you know, because you know his name I think transcends comics certainly at the moment. And then loads of great stuff there from the likes of Garth Ennis and so on and so forth. So it it'll be interesting to see what they come out with. But again, it will be interesting to see will these be prestige TV shows a la Witcher or will it be you know movie making a la Old Guard? But again. They'll probably end up in streaming systems because, unfortunately, <laughs> cinemas may not uh, actually have anywhere to go from from here. So definitely be keeping an eye out for it because there are some there's some great aftershock stuff there. And as I say, we're we're definitely talking about them more and more at the moment. It's and great that, to uh, see uh, that undone by blood, Roddy. That uh, that what you call from the Walking yeah. Dead has picked up. I bet you they're yeah. going. You know that. I mean, that's going to be that's going to be something. Yeah, and I'm really interested in that Dark Arc series. Uh, that sort of nearly uh, neo-biblical sort of thing, yeah. um, and Killer Groove. That was another one, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because we, we, you actually, there was a couple in our last previous podcast. I think there was maybe the first time we picked like put a good couple of aftershock titles on there. I can't, I can't remember the names of them specifically, but mm. there's definitely two or three in there. So they're they're making waves, and that's mm. only that's a great sign. Did uh, I did read that uh, Lonely Receiver that you recommended, Alan? Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting, interesting concept. Like really twisted. Yeah, really, really twisted. Love the idea, the whole reliance and technology and so forth. And yeah. we will get to that on one of my picks of the week because I may have found a little uh, link between that and one of my picks of the week. So. Oh, interesting. Um, but whether it would make a great live action adaptation, given how totally weird <laughs> yeah, and twisted not. it is, maybe not. I'm not yeah. too sure. Um, you had mentioned The Walking Dead there. I know that you'd uh, had a bit of interest in chatting about the world, the Walking Dead world beyond. Yeah, I see it. Uh, new New Walking Dead spinoff uh, premiered this week. Um, I understand. Um, set ten years after the uh, after the zombie the zombie apocalypse. Um, and I, I don't know if it's it seems to follow uh, younger protagonists. Um, yeah, I think the idea is that it's people who have grown up in this and this is the only world they've actually known. You know, they don't really have memories of the world pre-sort of zombie apocalypse. But it's interesting when you when you say it like that, you know, it's, oh, it's set 10 years after. We're, we're bound to be 10 years after by this point at least. In fact, we're more than that because isn't <laughs> Judith in her, isn't she like 12 or 13, Rick Grimes' daughter? So technically speaking, this is still set. I really wish with The Walking Dead they'd go a bit more interesting with it. Maybe go outside of America, like the title we've been talking about, um, Zero Year for or years. I do it every time. Year Zero with AWA. It's where not it shows, Batman, Alan. I know, I know. <laughs> Batman on the brain. What kind of a man has bats on the brain? Um, <laughs> yeah, like. Uh, you know, it's it's a zombie title that looks at like different aspects, like different places all over the world, how they've handled it. I remember when Fear the Walking Dead was coming out, I was so excited because I thought this was going to show the downfall of society on a day-by-day basis. But by the end of the first series, you were just slap bang in the middle of the zombie apocalypse. And it was basically just a different group of people you were following for the same thing. So, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I worry with Walking Dead. It's And this is just my opinion, but I, I it feels like it's beating a dead horse now. The comic ended so, so well. Uh, it, it ended at just the right time, I thought, after such a long run. And, you know, they're they're doing the right thing with the comic where it's like they're not giving you three, four, five spin-offs. They're giving you a, a new experience with the original one, with the one that's launching soon, which will be the colorized one, and give people a chance to catch up on it. So 
Walking Dead TV shows, I have to admit, I haven't been excited about them in a couple of years now. I don't know if I'm on my own there or not. Yeah, I, I fell off a long time ago, and it's uh, not something I want to get back on. Just... I, uh, I fell off that along with a lot of other stuff. Fell off with The Flash and Arrow and, uh, and a bunch of things. that I mean, there's a lot of the Marvel series on Netflix that I just haven't I haven't finished yet. I haven't, I haven't watched uh, the second season of Jessica Jones or the third season of Jessica Jones, rather, and the... This, the, 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 I don't know what I, there's two or three things that I've that I've missed uh, there. I don't know if I just I just sickened myself. Um, maybe I think it's Too maybe a good thing. I think it's just maybe the sheer wealth of uh, shows available now. You know, it's could be. It's just you always want to get to the next. Like it seems to be every couple of weeks now. There's a new hot TV show that you have to mm. watch and everybody's talking about. And it's interesting where I know there was that uproar around the boys recently where they were releasing week to week. And the producer of that says the reason they chose that release schedule was because if they throw everything out at one go, it's basically the talk of the internet for a week, and then a week later, they talk about something else. Whereas if you stifle your releases week to week, then it keeps people talking about it for a longer mm-hmm. period of time. So, water, water cooler talk, isn't it? Yeah. Same, same with Watch, Watchmen did it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm the same. I just... I don't really pay attention anymore, so I'm just like, if something looks good, I'm gonna watch it. it may take me a few, few weeks or a few months or a few years, but I'll, uh-huh. I'll eventually get to it. Um, speaking of uh, speaking of a uh, funky fresh show, are you still watching uh, Lovecraft Country, uh, Roddy? I am. Um, I haven't caught up to his episode eight. I think. Yeah, at the yeah. But yeah. Um, I'm sort of mixing it in. I've been rewatching Sopranos, so I'm still working my way through lovely, that. Lovely, lovely. Um, yeah. yeah, I think I'm up to episode five with Lovecraft Country, or Ooh. not Lovecraft County, like I said last week. But. Lovecraft Country. Uh, yeah, I think it was it was uh, episode. Uh, there was one episode that explored Tick's uh, Tick's past in uh, in 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 uh, oh, was it Vietnam? Uh, it was that was a or no Korea sorry it was passed in Korea it was in the Korean War, um, and then uh, the, the episode after is the trippiest episode of any series that I have seen in a long long time. That was <laughs> out of nowhere and absolutely fitting and and really fantastic. So you're not picking it up at all, Alan? Yet it's all uh, all sitting in the skybox like 300 uh, other shows. But okay. I am going to get into it at some point definitely. But surely before I get into that, I should be watching clearly the hottest show on Netflix that you know you've been watching for years, Keith. Oh yeah. Um this this weekend they announced season three and season four of Cobra Kai on Netflix. So season three is uh is uh, is landing uh, uh on January the eighth. Uh you know. Uh strike first, strike hard, no mercy. And uh and season four is apparently they announced that season four is in training, uh, so <laughs> <laughs> so really looking forward to that. The uh, the trailer for season three oh, dropped. They, they uh, know their audience, don't they? Oh, they do. They really do. <laughs> so uh, I I recommenced watching season one again after a viewing of the Karate Kid at the weekend, the original oh, wow. Karate Kid, not the Kung Fu Kid, obviously with Will Smith Kid, <laughs> which has got no bearing on anything. Um, anyway. <laughs> Listen to the disdain in your voice there. <laughs> the disdain. That had the great Jackie Chan in it and everything. I know, but even he couldn't save it. No, well, that's that's probably true. 
Um, yeah, just a couple other things we thought worth mentioning. Uh, as I said, there we obviously had a little podcast recording session just uh, just before the weekend. There, we were fortunate enough to have another creator interview. This is going to be a podcast that is going to drop next week. Very prominent creator at the moment has a massive title coming out soon. We managed to get a bit of insight into it. We, I think, we may have managed to get a wee exclusive in there as well. Uh, some information on it so uh really really dug that really looking forward to getting that out there actually uh, yeah i really enjoyed i really am um, enjoying doing those interviews now um some yeah because it, it sometimes it feels like an interview but then it breaks down into like just a really good chat chat and then, yeah. then they feel like the the person kind of feels like your mate so yeah mm-hmm. i think we're doing we're doing well with it yeah yeah yeah, I you mean, chatty enough to insult me anyway, so that was good. Oh yeah, I mean, just keep, keep an eye out for it. One of the choice podcasting moments of this year is a established top level comic creator saying to Keith, "Don't be stupid." Brilliant, brilliant. So uh, yeah, keep an eye on that. We'll be uh, we'll be throwing that out next week, and then we're just going to throw off a little bit of a shout out just for uh, a local artist, um, someone who has. Who means a lot to this podcast? He was the man who put together our rather excellent eighties cartoon inspired theme tune. A close friend of yours, I believe, Keith. Yeah. Uh, so Nathan O'Regan, as, as as Alan says, he's the man who composed and and produced our our new theme tune, uh, which I really hope you're all uh, you're all enjoying. And a lot of the wee uh, a lot of the wee uh, the wee themes and skits you hear throughout the the podcast. So he uh, he released uh, a live EP. Uh, his name is Nathan O'Regan. Uh, he released a, a live EP called Live Belfast, and uh, you can get that. You can get that in Bandcamp um, for a minimum payment of of a fiver, uh, and I don't mind paying a little bit more than that for for really good quality. Um, so check out Nathan O'Regan Music on on Facebook. Um, he's got a great uh, cover of uh, a Mark Cohen song. Um, that uh, Mark Cohen tweeted him back about uh, whenever he heard about it. Uh, yeah, I know, unbelievable. But uh, the man has got a voice like treacle, molasses. Um, it's incredible. And his, uh, his live EP is, is really fantastic. And right now, yeah, musical artists need so much support. Music, live music in, uh, in venues in Northern Ireland has effectively been outlawed uh, indefinitely. So... Uh, you know these 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 guys and girls have got you know have got nowhere else to turn you know so they're producing stuff you know in lockdown so just uh, yeah support support local um and, uh, and and buy buy northern irish music and irish music um right now uh, and nathan's nathan's ep is no exception and i believe there'll be a wee bonus track on that ep which is the coffee and heroes theme Should you have our permission nathan it's fine it's fine long, yeah. long form extended play Oh, imagine there's more lyrics to that. I, I would love to hear that, you know. You know, our theme tune does have a bit too much Marvel in it for my liking, but I, I put that down to Keith's uh, Keith's influence, so that's fine. None to do with me. <laughs> but no, absolutely no. We're, we're, we've always been about supporting local, you know, whether it's, you know, supporting local artists, putting stuff on the walls, trying to show off local, local creators' work, selling locally uh, created books, and then obviously, yeah, again with Nathan after he did such a, a great job for us. Uh, and he also, of course, has his own podcast that's worth checking out, which is the Mad Notions podcast as well. But only after you listen to this podcast, of course. So we are going to jump on now to some comic books then. So 
as I say, we're going to be doing reviews, so we're going to split it into two. We're going to be covering the releases from the 16th of September and the 23rd of September. What we will, however, do is combine those two weeks for the amount of titles we had. So for me, this uh, this fortnight, I should say, I had a total of 51 titles. So that was 18 DC, 14 Marvel. Whew, that's a bit too close for my liking. Uh, and 19 Indie. Indie, indie was the big winner for me this fortnight. Uh, what about yourself, Roddy? What were your numbers? Yeah, I got um, 17 overall and just ooh, one DC. Pathetic. Yeah. <laughs> we got to get uh, those rookie numbers up. Got to get those numbers up, yeah. Um, five Marvel and then 12 Indie. Actually, you thought I had a lot more, but I think... Um, Sort of the, the last day of the month was, was big for everyone. And I think that took up a lot. And how about yourself, Keith? What were your numbers? Well, I think mine were largely a product of the on-again, you know, one week off Marvel, one week on Marvel nature of uh, of, of, of this two-week period or three-week period. Uh, so I had a total of 44 titles. Uh, 10 of them were DC, 23 of them were Marvel, and 11 were Indie. So, yeah, I mean, look at the difference between your Marvel and DC there. At least you're conforming the type here. I mean, I, my Marvel picks have got way too close to my DC picks. I'm not <laughs> I'm not liking that at all. But, uh, no, don't worry. DC will be back with a vengeance on the, uh, the 30th of September for my reviews. So, uh, thoroughly, thoroughly wonderful week for DC. Although it was actually a good week all around, uh, to be honest, like most weeks. Like most weeks. But despite my obvious bias, my two picks of the month... Getting a little ahead of myself here, but my two picks of the month are both indie. Uh, Roddy, what are your two picks of the month, Mister Indie? Sorry, two picks of the uh, fortnight, I should say. You may rename me, with permission from Keith to Mister Marvel. <laughs> That's you this week. <laughs> I've gone for a, a double dose of Marvel, two two metal themed characters, shall we say? <laughs> Fair enough. And how about yourself, Keith? I'm leaving it up to you. you you've got two DC, right? Uh, I'm a wee bit more, uh, wee bit more of a balance this week, Alan. I've got a, I got a Marvel and a DC. Marvel and a DC, perfect. So we'll jump straight into it. So again, we always like to have our pick of the week. We'll go into that in much more detail. Uh, I think what's good, certainly for this Fortnite's one, is I think almost without exception, it's just one of Keith's I haven't read. But other than that, I, I've actually read all of our picks outside of that. Uh, so this could be quite the discussion, but. We're going to kick things off with my pick of the week for the 16th of September. So 16th of September, it was it was a great week in general. There was loads of great stuff. It was a very, very strong bat week, which I'll get into certainly on my honorable mentions. But for me, the standout title was an indie title. I was looking forward to this for a long, long time. It was solicited a good while ago. There's been really positive advanced press on it. I was even offered the chance to get an advanced preview PDF of it, and I just didn't want to. I just wanted the first experience of this book to be in just classic comic book form in my hands. So I'm delighted to say it did not disappoint. My pick of the week is Stillwater number one. This is written by Chip Zdarsky. You may have heard his name on this podcast a few times before. And the artist is Ramon K. Perez. And also a shout out for Mike Spicer, who is the colorist on this book. So for me, this this has the potential to become one of Image Comics' cornerstone books. You know, a la Undiscovered Country. Obviously too early to talk about something like Walking Dead or Saga, but... But in terms of new releases and in terms of brand new number ones in the last year or two, this has the potential to be big. So Chip, he's he's been a long time favorite creator of the of this 
podcast, of our store. We always push his work. And he's a long-time favorite, not just as a creator, but he just comes across a really cool guy. Really funny, really good personality. But given the run he's on, he's easily one of the best writers out there at the moment. Uh, he's proven he can be a serious writer, you know, despite his goofy online persona, which, you know, we chatted to him previously on a podcast. You can find it in our in our back catalogue. It's well worth a listen. But when it comes to the work, he is 100% committed. And, you know, he's had stellar runs on Spider-Man Life Story, stellar runs on Invaders, which, by the way, is a title that not enough people have read and more people definitely should. Definitely. Um, mm-hmm. And then his biggest his biggest title, certainly for us in store, is Daredevil, which 22 issues in shows no signs of slowing down. So it's another fantastic one. So now he's once again set his sights on creator-owned content. Sex Criminals was his last big massive hit. He's had a couple of smaller ones in the meantime. I remember there was a, a two-issue series, which was... Um, what was that? The White Trees. The White Trees. That was it with Chris Anka, I believe. Mm -hmm. And he also has one coming soon, which actually won an Eisner for Best Digital Comic called Afterlift, which is now getting a print run in December. So what a home run of a first issue this was. Stillwater is part sci-fi, part horror, part character study. So it would seem opening up uh, Stillwater, and I only say seem because I get the feeling there might be a rotating perspective to this book i don't think this is all going to be through the eyes of the the first character because this world is definitely things are not what they seem here uh, i would say so our main character when we open up is daniel so he's your traditional mid-20 something he's in a job that he hates he gets fired from it for actually doing the right thing and standing up to someone who was taking credit for someone else's work you know so he then goes out and drinks too much he gets beaten up by a bouncer despite you know just trying to relax he's has this horrible, horrible first couple of pages. And by the way, is wearing this great Charlie Brown-inspired Batman t-shirt, which says, ha, good grief on it. And it's Charlie Brown based as, uh, dressed up as Batman. Uh, but the next day, so he's nursing a hangover. He's staying at a friend's house, and he's greeted by a knock on the door. And this mysterious man is standing there, identifies himself as a, as a lawyer, says that he's inheriting a lot of money from his great-great-aunt. Uh, the only thing is he has to go to the town of Stillwater to pick it up. Nothing strange there, right? So his friend even jokes on the way. Of course, his friend is one of those friends that everybody has. He seems like a bit of a hanger-on, enjoys taking the mick out of his friend, enjoys maybe feeling a bit superior to him, maybe his life slightly more in control. But he's happy to go along for the ride. You know, he even jokes in the car on the way. You know, maybe they have to stay the night in a haunted house to, to keep the money. They'll wish it was that easy, I think. <laughs> But even as the journey goes on, everything gets stranger. You know, they stop at a gas station to get gas and some snacks. Um, the friend tries to talk to the, the gas station attendant, asking about this town, Stillwater. Says, oh, it's only an hour west from here. Person's never heard of it. Uh, so, but the funny part is, I said before that I was going to link Lonely Receiver to this. And one of that is due to its inherent trust we have as a human race in technology. His friend keeps saying, trust the phone, trust the phone, it's just up ahead. You know, forget about the fact there are no signs to this town. Forget about the fact that nobody has heard of this town close to it. Trust the phone. It'll it'll guide us right. Um, then there's the overly friendly police officer who's you know, says the town of Stillwater doesn't get many visitors. So they're starting to maybe feel a bit more relaxed here because they finally come across someone who knows where Stillwater is. But 
he is way too friendly for a cop. And he will turn <laughs> up later. <laughs> he will turn up later in a very different way. You know, for me, this is like peak peak level Stephen King type setup, I think. Yeah. Um, it is a brilliant idea for what Stillwater actually is, which I don't want to go into too much detail on because it did sort of slightly tell you in the solicits. But at the same time, I think one of the strengths of this book is going into it, knowing as little as possible. Um, and, you know, in Sadarsky, what he does is he brings every last bit of tension out of this issue. Uh, the art from Ramon K. Perez is, is next level good. And it's elevated, to be honest, even further by Mike Spicer, who I, I spoke about before. You know, so many yeah. horror books are kept in the shadows and darkness and the creepy thing around the corner. This all, mostly this takes place in daylight. And it's almost like a pastel drenched color palette. Where yeah, because that. That scene in the bar was incredibly done as well. It was like blue and neony pinks. It was class. Um, I was trying to, when you said um, a horror that takes place in the daylight, I was thinking of something, but it's just dropped out of my mind there. Tell you what the, that that first that first chapter sort of reminded me of was Get Out. Uh, mm. There was a there was a sniff of Get Out uh, in it, you know, and that's all a daylight sort of a you know, and just a cop stopping them, I guess, and everything and you could also you know there's also i suppose a, a kind of a wolf creek or hills of eye sort of a thing there as well maybe um but yeah i, I, I see the, the comparison to stephen king's a good one yeah i think so i mean for me stephen king is the best ideas man in literature he doesn't always hit home runs he's he'll even admit himself he's probably not the greatest writer in the world but see as an ideas man that man is just an, a, a writing machine you know um, that's funny you say that actually because so many people I know who write uh, will say that Stephen King's book on writing is the single best instruction booklet on writing yeah. <laughs> available I've actually I've read it myself so I have actually as well it's uh, it is very very good in fairness I mean the comparison to Get Out's interesting because Get Out is a movie that this might be a controversial take I didn't particularly like that much I loved the first act I thought the setup for it was excellent and then for me it just descended into sort of Twilight Zone silliness um, I Get Out's a, a movie I'm probably destroying both of you right here by sense I wasn't a big fan of Get Out but I think the setup for it is exceptional and if it had to just stayed a bit more serious I think it would have been a better movie but Oh, that, that's a separate podcast again. He's, he's, he's getting us back for Tenet, Roddy. <laughs> <laughs> but no, with this, what I would say is that I have full faith in Sadarsky. He knows where he's going because, as I said before, his run in Daredevil is just next level good as well. Uh, not that Daredevil's ever had a bad run on it these days, but um, you know what a run Sadarsky's on at the moment. Those those titles I mentioned before, and it, you know it's he is the epitome for me of the the ethos of the store which is follow creators not titles because daredevil is very different to invaders which is very different to spider-man life story which is very different to sex criminals which is very different to this uh this is absolutely essential i think this was i think this is an instant purchase it's already back to second print uh special mention as well for the the, the cover design it, like even round to the back of the the cover and so forth beautifully put together book by image skybound you also have a, a f an interview, you know. I'm saying about how the online persona of Zdarsky is really funny and affable and all this kind of stuff. You've just read this really dark horror book that leaves you on a ridiculously great cliffhanger. And then they have this interview at the back. And some of the... 
some of the answers that Arsky gets are brilliant. You know, yes. If you if you could never die with skill or talent, would you learn? Uh, to finally write good, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> would you want to live forever? Sure. I mean, it beats the alternative. Um, who should star in a movie about your life? Sadly, it would have to be Tom Green. I don't like it any more than you do, <laughs> but there it is. Uh, you know, yeah, I. Man. I think it's class, and the best answer of all time, I have to say, is the last one. Why should people pick up Stillwater number two? Because if they don't, they'll be super confused by what happens in Stillwater number three. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you have some sketches at the back as well. It's just just a really great value issue. You do get a wee preview as well for The Walking Dead at the back, uh, The Walking Dead Deluxe, which is coming. But this this release, you know, belongs to these guys. Did you- did you did you manage to go through that without actually mentioning what the uh what makes this a dark horror yep i wow. i think with review i'm i i like to think that the more we do this the maybe the better we get almost in that i don't want to give away everything i want to i want to just leave people wanting to you know go out yeah. and satisfy their own curiosity i mean as I say, I avoided everything on this book in advance. I avoided advanced previews. I avoided reviews. I went in really clean to it. And I think that's just the best way to go into anything. And and it's interesting as well, just a wee, a wee side point. But I really loved the the fact that all that stuff with, you know, him in the club and his job and all the rest, that was sort of like prelude. And then you mm-hmm. just get this big mm-hmm. chapter one. And again, that yeah. just gives it a really epic feel as well. So, um, yeah, I have not given away the... Uh, giving away the secret of what Stillwater is, you'll have to find that out for yourself. Well, well they are the band and almost famous. <laughs> Most um, importantly. Yeah, like I I completely agree with you. I think you know, if you hadn't picked it, I think Keith or I would have probably yeah, went for it easily. It was easily. Phenomenal. Um I, I definitely see like a long term kind of walking dead thing. Mm-hmm. I really, I really hope it is this the next the next but it's 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 own thing anyway you know totally but, uh, it's, um... it's it's weird when you talk about chip sadarsky because you do have that mental um sort of picture of him as like the kind of zany i don't know like jokester on twitter or whatever like not that i have twitter but you, you have that perception of him but whenever you pick up a book you're like oh this is completely different Every yeah, like as you say, everything he writes is absolutely different from the next. Yeah, but of a similar level of quality, and 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 that's exactly why you follow those creators because you yeah. you trust in their style and you trust them to give you a good story and good value and you know and something different as well. But yeah, I mean, obviously we chatted to him as I was saying before, and yeah, he just comes across a really funny guy, and you think there's no way that guy's capable of writing this, but. Yeah. The, the interesting thing from talking to him is he says that like when it comes to deadlines when it comes to pitches like he is all business you know he if anything he gets his work in early he's he's uber professional and he actually created the chips at Arsky, you know name you know just so he could have fun you know rather than mm-hmm. people associate it with with him so yeah can't recommend enough it is back to second print which we have got pre-ordered we do still have one or two uh issues in store of the first print because you know, I'm trying more and more with the store. Again, we're always learning a Coffee and Heroes, but I'm trying more and more to order in more of number ones that I think people might come to a bit late, but I don't want to disappoint them and and they'll still be able to grab it by, you know, a couple of weeks later. It's not a case of if you're not there on release day, you miss out. So we do still have a couple of copies held back just in case anybody uh, 
likes the sound of that. So, yeah, that is my undoubted pick for 16th of September. Stillwater number one, Chip Zdarsky, Ramon K. Perez, Mike Spicer. What about yourself, Roddy? What have you got for us from the 16th? Well, uh, as discussed earlier, I'm going to break away completely from the indie loving, and I'm going to go for Marvel. Um, very much one of Marvel's tentpole characters, and he's got a new number one, and that is Iron Man. Um, this is written by Christopher Cantwell, illustrated by Cafu, uh, colored by Frank Dar- De Armada, and lettered by VCs Joe Caramagna. Um, yeah, we're we're sort of spinning out the back of Iron Man 2020, which um, Keith, did you read? I did read. Um, yeah, I read. I read Dan Slott's entire run on Iron Man, um, such as such as it was. Uh, you know, obviously, he came off the back of of a great, uh, a great, a legendary Spider-Man run, uh, and into Fantastic Four and Iron Man, and I think of the two. Uh, Fantastic Four definitely suited him better. Um, mm-hmm. Iron Man twenty twenty was all right. Uh, it, it it just didn't have the impact that I was that was hoping it might it might do. Um, I think they felt they needed to do something because Iron Man twenty twenty was an existing character already, and it mm-hmm. was twenty twenty. And so, but yeah, it was it was it was all right. Uh, a very very overblown, very. Uh, you know, uh, high stakes, which is why this sort of back to basics approach of Cantwell's makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say. After so, Cantwell is following in uh, tremendous footsteps of like Bendis, Matt Fraction, Kieran Gillen, and Dan Slott, as you mentioned, as a an Iron Man writer. And I think Iron Man is a very hard character to write. And it's a big, it's a big undertaking. And certainly, we all have our our own uh, preferences when it comes to Iron Man, uh, Alan, and uh, the Tony Stark of the films. But um, this one, this, like as you say, it's a very back to basics approach, almost weirdly a street level Iron Man. Um, yeah. So this one, you can pick it up if you haven't been reading Iron Man. It's very much a new number one, like we've been seeing from Marvel quite a bit before before the lockdown. We had Thor number one, we had Doctor Doom, which got a re-release, and we had uh, Ghost Rider and Doctor Strange, who've since been cancelled. But yeah, um, it's always great to pick up a new Marvel number one. And this one was called, the first story was called Rest Your Brains. Um, basically follows Tony Stark going through a sort of, He's probably had quite a lot of midlife crisis, <laughs> and this is maybe another one where he's he feels like he's trying to do something. The crux of Iron Man at the start was him being a weapons dealer and you know trading to the wrong people in the film, and him sort of coming to the realization that that's wrong. And in this one, it's sort of like a similar spin on it, and he's he's sort of feeling that way about technology and his relationship with it and how this how it's helping or hindering him and the, like that was something really interesting to me because I think I'm going through my own little brick with technology at the moment so it spoke to me without being you know too preachy or high level or whatever mm. um, but yeah it was a really great introduction to Iron Man it was a really 
because you get a bit of Tony Stark and you get a nice bit of Iron Man as well. And it captures a really great balance. And I thought Cafu's artwork oh. is stunning. He, you know, he got to draw, he get gets to draw this beautiful, great fight scene with, um, is it Terax? Terax, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, but he also, he really shines when he's just drawn like Tony Stark and you get these great sort of emotional moments with Tony, you know, he's not at his lowest that we've seen before, but he's certainly, there's different things that he's going through. And it's great to see this reevaluation of the character that you can just jump, just jump, jump, jump into. Yeah. That's the one. Um, but yeah, yeah. Did both of you, both of you picked it up? Yeah, you may be astounded to hear this, but I actually really enjoyed this. And it was it was kind of nice, as you say, Roddy. I, my experience with Iron Man in comics is very, very limited. But it was really nice to jump into something, not feel lost by it straight away. Uh, Camwell's one of those writers to watch, I think. He's steadily building up a really good repertoire of stuff. And I think keep an eye on him for the next year or two. And, yeah, Cafu. You know, the best Cafu yeah. since the Brazilian right back. You know, it's... <laughs> wonderful wonderful artwork i have to say so yeah i was i was shocked that i enjoyed this as much as i did given my 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 lack of enjoyment of iron man as a character shall we say uh yeah i read it too i wasn't i wasn't going to miss this roddy um cafu's mm-hmm. art uh fantastic uh last seen by me i think on uh jane foster valkyrie um oh, yeah. and uh frank frank darmada's colors in this are just the the depth that they give every panel is incredible um but the the new the new armor has been designed by alex ross and there is of course a lovely alex ross wraparound cover on this that bears mentioning uh because because alex ross uh you know but but yeah i think uh i think you're exactly right i think that uh that break away from technology so i think the, the the thing as you say is that is that Tony is now worrying that he worrying that he is worrying himself that he's defined by the technology that he's lost himself in the technology that Iron Man has become more about the iron than about the man, uh, you know. And I think he wants to redress that balance. Um, and I think the, that that uh, just as you said, Roddy, he starts off on Twitter or the, the the equivalent of Twitter at the start of the issue, and by the end of the issue, he's deleted his account. You know, um, at <laughs> yeah. at at at. at, at it chips right in with uh, the lo- lonely receiver from Aftershock that we we read, Alan, that you recommended. It it trumps very well with I was telling you guys about uh, watching the Social Dilemma on Netflix the other week, uh, a documentary about the same. So so yeah, and you're 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 exactly right. It's the you know the even even in the car showroom he gets something downgraded. You know whenever he crashes his car, he gets he ends up getting a roadster uh, of some kind. You know, um, but uh, the the hangover from uh, from Dan Slott's Iron Man Iron Man series is addressed here very quickly in one page where uh, where Tony's uh, Tony's moving into his new apartment back in New York again. So it's a long time since Tony's you know he's always in Malibu, Florida. He's now back in New York. You know he's not he's not back in Avengers Mansion, but he's back in New York. And that one panel where Wasp Janet Van Dyne flies up to the window and says. Uh, Nice place, thanks. I just wanted to tell you face to face that I've moved on. Uh, I think it's what's best because obviously the two of them were seeing each other, and Dan Slot's run. And Tony's like, I agree. And she goes, Anyway, take care. You too, Janet. <laughs> so, so that was effectively saying goodbye to Slot's run, you know. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you know the 
the, the trying to get in touch with the road and the reality of it whenever he goes in the drag race. And uh, and then I think the inclusion of Patsy Walker, uh, Hellcat, is pretty interesting because Hellcat is, although her telekinetic abilities or, or telepathic abilities and her force field generation comes from uh, like Moondragon or something, you know, the Saturn or somewhere like that, she's very much a street-level character, but like she appeared in, uh, in Jessica Jones, the TV series. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... So, so Iron Man side by side with a with another street level character. He's so that friend, friendly neighborhood Spider Man or friendly yeah, neighborhood Iron Man here. Very, very much, and and it's interesting because the the you know he's gone through all of these Iron Man, uh, you know nanotech suits and and holographic suits, and now he's back to wearing a suit that he keeps in a suitcase. <laughs> the Iron Man suits yeah. in a suitcase, and there was one scene there. There was one one page. And it was a page of uh, of Iron Man of Tony dressing in the Iron Man outfit, and it's a total retake of something from the original Iron Man comic book. And that's it's a seminal it's a seminal scene. There's no dialogue on it. It's just it's just a, a picture page uh, as he dresses in the Iron Man suit for the first time, and uh, it's a it's a throwback page to uh, to a lot of previous new costume issues of Iron Man, mm-hmm. but uh, but very very good. Um, it's interesting because. Don't know if you read uh, Daredevil this week, uh, Alan or Roddy. Yep. Uh, was Daredevil finished, uh, obviously uh, crossed over, and the Iron Man crossed over into it, and he was talking about being glad to be back on the street, you know, and uh, and and really appreciating what Daredevil does. So there was a wee bit of a, a wee bit of a crossover there, I think. But uh, yeah, there's a larger story development here as well. Um, so looking forward to seeing it. Yeah. Yeah, I just I just thought it was it was really worth mentioning as well as well. Um, all the Twitter stuff was really funny. Yeah, and um, yeah, managed to blend that nice uh, that nice humor with a good bit of serious stuff, and then a bit of soul searching uh, interest as well. So yeah, like a stunning first issue, and then Campwell sort of uh, developing his own little corner of the Marvel universe, you know. So look out, uh, Don and Kids. <laughs> well, uh, Cantwell's corner of the universe involves uh, metal-cladded people. Psy- psychopaths is the word you're looking for. You're <laughs> <laughs> beyond reproach and above the law. Lo- anyway, I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> but no, I I did really enjoy this as well. I have to say, and I'm I'm on board for issue two. I have to say so, <laughs> and I really. I really enjoyed. How, how could you not want to read that again after hearing the great line that Keith just spewed of? He wants to make it less about the iron and more about the man. Great stuff. <laughs> that that should be on the uh, that should be on the trade. Cool. So that was Roddy's pick of the week for sixteenth of September. That's Iron Man number one by Christopher Cantwell and Cafu. No, not that one. Uh, what about yourself, Keith? Sixteenth of September. What do you got for us? Uh, I'm going for a Marvel, Alan. Um, so. You know that uh, you know that of late, uh, you know this year Marvel have been releasing a series of one shots called Marvel Snapshots. Um, the idea is that uh, Kurt Busiek, um he curates these, and they they feature creative teams, some of them by major names in the industry that sort of retell key key moments from that character's history. So. Uh, we've had uh, we've had snapshots Spider Man and snapshots Submariner and I think snapshots Fantastic Four and uh, there's a few more yet to, yet to come. So this was Marvel snapshots X Men. Now it's snapshots because 
it relates to Marvel's, you know, the the the, the classic Kurt Busiek uh, story, you know, about photographer Phil Sheldon. So that's why it's snapshots, you know, eye of the camera sort of stuff. But uh, this uh, X Men was um, it's by by a writer, uh, first time writer for Marvel uh, called uh, Jay Dayden. Uh, and Jay Dayden is uh, a writer and podcaster. Um, he's the co-host of, uh, or sorry, they are the co-host uh, of uh, the Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men podcast, uh, where the hosts take uh, listeners on a journey through, as they say, the, the, convoluted, uh, the convoluted continuity of their favorite superhero soap opera. Um, so this is, this is a, a love letter to Cyclops um, by, as I say, by J. Dyden and Tom Riley. Tom Riley as the illustrator doesn't really have a lot to his name either. Uh, he was the uh, he was the uh, the illustrator on a book called Art Astro Hustle by Dark Dark Horse, um, which only lasted two issues. I think was was cancelled unceremoniously as a result of uh, of some accusations against the writer. Um, but anyway, onto this book. I would say that this is definitely uh, is definitely a must read for uh, for any X Men fan or any Cyclops fan. Whoa, so it's not often you hear a love letter to Cyclops. Yeah, exactly. Which is um, rare. He usually is the you know the forgotten one of the X Men. Yeah, so. Well, uh, you know, and I think that's really unfair. I think it's really unfair. Yeah, he's one of yeah, my he's too. one of my favorite one of my favorite characters and. It's obvious from the writing that these two these two creators feel exactly the same way that they're absolutely absolutely in love with with Cyclops and the, and the story they're telling. So, you know, Cyclops Scott Summers he's got a, a very long history and his, his his origin story has been retold many 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 times. So something new is is interesting to see. But uh, but these guys throw in throw in references that that you know from all over the place that you know. Maybe sometimes some of them only the most diehard fans would 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 get. So, uh, the story the story uh, is is subtitled and the rest will follow. Um, and I should say that uh, Chris O'Halloran is the is the color artist in this. So it it starts with the uh, the classic uh, you know Scott and Alex being being thrown from the plane by the the crashing plane by their parents and uh, the parachute not opening and and Scott saving his brother's life uh, and in doing so incurs a head injury that head injury leaves him with headaches and uh and leaves him with with memory loss you know he, he nobody he, he's taken into a, into a, a children's home and, and no one remembers he has a he has a brother you know and uh he he remembers he, he knows he has a brother he knows he has a brother but no one else knows he has a brother they've been separated you know during the during the police investigation or whatever it is so but uh, but Scott can't remember. He's in this this foundling's home, and he can't he can't remember uh, what the score is there. It it uh, it does a really good job of of highlighting some of Scott's characteristics that that make him make him a great leader and a great tactician. His his uh, over obsessiveness and his tendency to over prepare and over research uh, is is introduced very early on and. Uh, they they sort of link the plane crash that the, the the plane accident that that created that is part of Cyclops and 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 uh, Havoc's origin uh, with 
the start of the shuttle crash that creates the Fantastic Four. So Scott, as a kid in this in this home for foundlings, is witnessing the first battle of the Fantastic Four with the Submariner, another, of course, seminal Mar- Marvel moment, you know, and and he's linking this to to himself and to that you know the growth of the heroes, and he becomes obsessed with with uh, with the Fantastic Four, and uh, even in his own self doubt and and desire for belonging, he he's he idolizes Mister Fantastic, he idolizes Reed Richards, and uh, and uh, eventually he's doing a lot of research, and uh, he's got these headaches, and and uh, eventually he. Uh, he wants to go and uh, he wants to go to, to meet Reed Richards and Reed Richards is doing this thing at an agricultural convention. Uh, there's a there's a couple of, of cameos here uh, from Tony Stark and from from Doctor Corbo, but uh, but eventually um, eventually uh, Scott's Scott's abilities are revealed. His uh, his blast his you know the, the headaches culminate in, in the the blast from the eyes and. And he, he realizes uh, what he is. He starts thinking himself as a monster, and uh, and all of this sort of it's 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 so great. But then, you know, inspired by Reed Richards, you know, he, he realizes that he can use his powers for good. And uh, you know, whenever this whenever this uh, scientific conference is attacked and Scott is trapped, he realizes that that his need to use his powers to save others is more important than his need to hide his powers and not be seen as a monster. Uh, you know, and uh, it's about just you know these lines about him opening his eyes, and it's it's so good. It comes full circle, you know. And at the end, we see Scott, ever the the leader and the tactician of the X Men, and he's wearing when you see him, he's wearing his his classic nineties um, Jim Lee uh, X Men the animated series uniform. You know, the blue and the yellow with a with a, the the bandoliers and the nice. you know, and he's 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 simultaneously organizing. Cable and organizing Doctor Corbeau and organizing his brother Alex, while Psylocke and Gambit look on. And there's obviously some problem in, with the Fantastic Four and Reed's family's in danger. So it comes full circle where where Scott, now confident, now in control, uh, now the leader and the tactician, is reassuring his former idol, Mister Fantastic, about the well-being of his family. Uh, meanwhile, Scott has found his own family in the X Men, uh, and it just it just shows this. This full circle journey from from scared, injured boy who doesn't understand himself or his powers to you know fully fledged superhero leader uh, that 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 Scott truly is within the the Marvel the Marvel uh, milieu. So just a really a really great story, really fantastic story that uh, just so well crafted. So many we just we. Uh, references you know um there's a, there's there's a bit in it where where scott picks up the art of war and there was a time that uh you know and there was a 200, 2011 cyclops miniseries that was all based around references from the art of war and scott's you know interest in that book and uh geez there's 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 one stage where they draw him wearing a jumper that you still see him wearing in the first or second issue of of x-men back in the day you know so it's uh it's just it's really fantastic i just thought it was it was a great example of what you can do with this sort of this book, and I think my my favorite of the of the Marvel snapshots so far, and especially from a relative a relative neophyte team, you know, uh, yeah. certainly to Marvel anyway. So, 
Have you uh, read all those snapshots books? Yeah, because I have, yeah, I, yeah. I got a bit lost. Like, I kind of wanted to pick them up, but there was, do you know, there was, like, Marvel X and all this stuff? And I, yeah, like, yeah. I kind of got lost, and I was like, what's what's the real stuff? Um, but, yeah, well, well, I mean, I'm reading Marvels. Marvels is the sequel to, uh, is the sequel to Earth X. Uh, yeah. Marvel, Marvel X. Marvel's X, isn't it? Uh, and then there's like another that, one that yeah. was there was another one that was cancelled or, or postponed and then there was this. Yeah. Um, so this so has those, been yeah, these have been great, yeah. Those are the ones I should be reading as well. Yeah, you're I'd say so, Roddy. I'd say they'll probably come out as a collected edition. Uh, there's eight issues, I, I I believe. And I think they'll probably be collected. So Yeah, uh, lovely, lovely book. Lovely one shot. Yeah, I think the ones you're referring to, Roddy, there was Marvel, Marvel's X, Marvel Snapshots. Yeah. Because even keeping track of them as a store and pull lists was very interesting, I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's not just, not just me. Yeah, especially the, the best part was, uh, just to give you a bit of inside knowledge here, so you get the spreadsheets for the orders once a month for uh, previews. And I always search the title at the top. But of course, you type in Marvel to a comic spreadsheet. How many hits do you think you're getting on it? <laughs> it's not taking you straight to that title, you know, so... Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I should say, I should say, I mean, Tom Riley's art uh, combined with, with Chris O'Halloran's um, colors really lend uh, nearly like an old timey feel, like a vintage, a vintage sort of a feel to the book, which is what it needs, you know, because it's telling the story about, about Scott's childhood. So, uh, so yeah, really, uh, yep, yeah, a brilliant, uh, a brilliant one shot, perfect standalone story, story told to great effect. Yeah, I'll be keeping an eye out myself, I think, when once that hits trade, because I never jumped on any of them. But I think, yeah, they're nearly yeah. done now. I think there's one or two just to come, uh, just to finish it off. So I'll probably jump on that when it hits uh, trade, I would say. So yeah, so that is Keith's pick of the week then for 16th of September. That was Marvel Snapshots X-Men number one. So what was like to finish off then just the each release week with honorable mentions? So we... We have hummed and had about the format of this, and we'd certainly appreciate feedback on it. You know, we we sometimes worry that, you know, maybe the podcast is running long, or you know, God forbid, we talk about comics too much. Uh, so when it comes to the honourable mentions, we don't want it to just be another review section, so to speak. The way we obviously go into great depth with our picks of the week, but uh, with the honourable mentions this week, we'll we'll cycle through them. You know that what's good about the honourable mentions is there's always a lot of crossover with things that I've read that Roddy's read or. Keith's read, you know, Roddy's read and so forth. So, I mean, of course, we'll start off with DC, which means Roddy's well, read none, none of it. <laughs> well, uh, we'll just, uh, I'll just give up on that. You know, I've, I've been, just make a cup of tea here. I've been trying for years here, Roddy, and just, you know, feeling. But uh, just a couple of titles I thought were worth mentioning uh, with regards to DC for this week. So you had the massively oversized collection Detective 27. Uh, this was to commemorate a thousand issues of Batman. So this was very bat heavy. Uh, it really was a big, massive bad boy, uh, 144 pages. You had in total 11 stories in there, and they were uh, stories varying lengths and varying levels of uh, good and great, I, su- I should say. But you have people in there, everyone from you know Grant Morrison to Tom Keane to Scott Snyder, Kelly Sudaconic, you get James Tinian, Greg Rucka, Matt Fraction. And then in terms of the artists, you've got David Marquez, Chip Zdarsky, Eduardo Risso, John Romita Jr., Walter Simonson, Ivan Rice, Chris Burnham. So they really did throw um, the kitchen sink at this. And like any anthology books, you know, it has its ups and its downs. But there were some exceptional stories in here, I thought. 
Uh, I particularly enjoyed uh, two that come to mind. One which was the last story, which is called A Gift, written by Mariko Tamaki. And art, yeah. art by Dan Mora. This one's set during Joker War. And the art in this just consistently um, convinces me that Dan Mora should be on a Batman title. I think his art is wonderful. He also had one of the standout issues in the Joker one-shot as well. So really enjoyed that. The other one I really, really enjoyed, which uh, I suppose shouldn't be too much of a surprise given the lavish praise I just put out on Stillwater, but there was a great one that was actually drawn by Chip Zdarsky and his sex criminals buddy, uh, Matt Fraction. And it essentially distilled down the Batman-Joker relationship into this twisted love story uh, <laughs> where the Joker would leave Batman a birthday present every month. And it got to the point where Batman came to expect him so much that he started to get disappointed if he wasn't getting a present. Uh, you know, I don't think you ever thought you would see in a Batman book. I'm going to hold this up for Roddy. Obviously, no one can see this. But you never thought you would ever see Batman go, give me my birthday present. <laughs> Really, mm. really silly, irreverent take, but just a lot of fun. Uh, um, but there's a lot of good stuff in here. There was. I mean, I, I, I really enjoyed it uh, for the most part. You know what I'm like with anthology books, but uh, but I'm definitely coming around, Roddy. Um, <laughs> but I really enjoyed uh, the Kelly Sue DeConnick and John Romita Jr. story, Four, uh, which was, uh, you know, Bruce out playing, uh, playing golf in the rain with this, uh, with this obviously, uh, criminal mastermind and, uh, and effectively... You know this guy thinking he's a hard guy, and uh, you know Bruce is a soft, a soft businessman. You know, and we're seeing what Bruce's life is really like as he talks. You know, um, so and obviously John Romita Jr.'s art. There was Generations Fractured at the end by Jan Jurgens and uh, and Kevin Nolan, which, as you may have, if you listen to a previous podcast, this is the prelude to the the what may be a one shot Generation Shattered. Also by Jan Jurgens, which uh, which could be the uh, the uh, this could be what what the the, the G five or the generations uh, I guess re- reboot was supposed to be so or what it's turned into so that was interesting. But one of my favorite things in this whole thing was the there's art pages in it and there was art there was one page uh, by uh, art it was by Jamal Campbell and it's a lovely picture of a shot of Alfred coming down the stairs into the Batcave with a with a medical kit and. Uh, a costumed, uh, a costumed Bruce and a costumed uh, Dick Grayson uh, fighting, and the smiles on their faces as they fight uh, is just fantastic. Uh, you know, the smiles on their on both uh, Nightwing and Batman's faces as they as they fight, uh, just like like brothers in arms. Um, just it's really it's a really lovely picture, I think. Um, do you see the one I'm referring to? Yeah, Alan. Yeah. So yeah, sort of the so, yeah. twisted perspective picture. Hmm. Yeah, and I suppose one last shout-out just for the Grant Morrison story, which is probably the most straightforward Grant Morrison story you will ever read. But it was great. It was called Detective 26, and obviously Batman came along in Detective 27. Detective 26 is all about this guy trying to make a name for himself as a superhero. I think he's called the, the Silver Ghost, and he's trying to make a name for himself, and he's out there fighting crime. But then he sees this guy on TV called Batman and essentially goes, ah, well, shove a Gotham, you've got someone else. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a really fun little story, the, the one before Batman, if you will. Uh, so yeah, definitely well worth picking up. You know, $10 price point, so it is a bit pricier, but honestly, it's the size of a graphic novel, so it is, so tons of value there. And then just another shout out for Batman 99, which continues Tinian's Joker War storyline, which just seems to get more and more epic by the issue. 
this issue, as as well told as it was, for me the star of this issue was Jorge Jimenez's artwork, which was absolutely outstanding. Massive splash pages. There's this one great page, which is a double page spread showing the chaos happening in Gotham. You know, it's it's just chaos in the streets, but you've also got the Joker in the bottom right hand corner, just looking like a cold, calculating um, mobster, basically sitting in the back of his ridiculously pimped out limo. Um, there is a particular moment that I know Mr. Miller would have enjoyed in this book. Well, yeah, this this book contained my favorite page of the whole week, uh, and that was the page with uh, with uh, Batman handing uh, Dick Grayson back uh, a case uh, and opening it to find his Nightwing costume in it. So uh, this obviously follows on from uh, from Nightwing seventy five with uh, with uh, with Dick re- re- remembering his his identity and recapturing his identity and uh, and uh, God I can't wait to see him with the Nightwing costume back on again. So it was it was just Bruce giving him back that case with the Nightwing costume in it. Fantastic. Yeah, it's the uh, it's the second last issue before um, the culmination of Joker War and Batman One Hundred, and yeah, it just felt big and epic. Lots of stakes. Um, really good scene with Harley. Harley is becoming more and more well written and more important to Batman stories at the moment. And there's this great confrontation between her and Batman, where Harley basically wants to kill the Joker, and Batman talks her out of it, saying like that's not what we're about. But yeah, some great horror type stuff in this as well, especially with the uh, the visions he has of Alfred as well, and then it ends with uh, the Joker in a interesting suit, shall we say? But yeah, pretty great stuff there, I have to say, with uh, Batman ninety nine. So those were the two DC titles I wanted to sort of have a quick chat about and a quick recommend. Uh, what about Marvel wise, Keith? What do you got? Uh, Marvel wise, I know we all read Thor number seven by Donny Cates and uh, Aaron uh, Aaron Cooter was guest artist on this. It's uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, Hammerfall Part One of Two. Um, the environment. Yes. Uh, Jeez, that boy's getting everywhere this week. He is getting everywhere. Um, <laughs> obviously, that Thor's hammer has become, regardless of what has gone before, the fantasticness of the the previous six issues. But Thor's hammer, Mjolnir, has been getting heavier and heavier, uh, while it becomes lighter and lighter for everyone else. And even Loki has held the hammer now. So what is going on? This two-part story, I think, is going to tell us. Uh, we see the return of Broxton, Oklahoma, which previously was the site of New Asgard uh, back in uh, back in the day, back before uh, Dark Reign and all of that good stuff. Um, so there's there's just some great stuff going on. I love uh, the use of Thor's Thor's ravens in this. Uh, you know, as uh, nearly as as mobile phones between Sif and, and Thor. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, really great stuff. Peter Ray Bill uh, makes a return um, and uh, and plays a large role. And uh, yeah, there's just some there's some great stuff going on here. Um, yeah, some really I good thought, stuff. Um, this this one was all about. Um, I don't want to say they were taking a break, but it certainly felt like all the the heavy stuff of the Black Winter. Well, it was still there, you know, but um, certainly took a little bit of a backseat towards the the humor humorous side of. Uh, the Thor universe. The, there's a great panel of uh, Tony Stark as Iron Man reflected in the Raven's eye, and he's just shaking, <laughs> shaking his fist. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, uh, Co- like Cooter's Cooter's art's phenomenal too. Yeah, um, yeah. He was, you know, don't wanna like hammer on about the old fill-in artist, but uh, you know, if it's a two-parter, um, I can dig it. Um, and then if Nick Klein's gonna come back, I'll be excited for that. 
Yeah, it's a smart, yeah. it's a smart way of doing filling artists. I think just a wee two issue arc almost catch the breath from everything that happened in the first six issues. His art is slightly different. I was slightly taken aback because I was so used to Nick Klein's almost scratchy, rough and ready sort of artwork. But whereas this was much more sort of what Keith likes to call clean lines. Oh, uh, yeah. So it was it was a beautiful looking book, but it took me a, a page or two just to just to settle into it because of what I. Come to expect from Donny Cates and Nick Klein's Thor. So, uh, but yeah, great issue. So it was uh, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it myself. Just continues to be one of Marvel's best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so next up was one I don't think you guys are on. Charles Soule's Star Wars number six. Nope. Uh, so I say Charles Soule writes. Jesus says is the artist. Um, but uh, so this, this is, this is, uh, it's part six and it's part six of a story called the destiny path uh it's set after empire strikes back uh luke has learned that uh spoilers darth vader is his father uh and of course in that battle he lost his hand and his lightsaber in the cloud city but of course whenever we see him again in the return of the jedi he has a lightsaber so this is the story of what happened this is the story of where that came from um so Luke has become more determined than ever to become a Jedi, despite the revelation, and uh, he's been led by visions of the Force to a mysterious woman, uh, and is ensnared in a deadly trap. And it all goes from it all goes from there. There's a great lightsaber battle. There's some uh, there's some uh, some force some I guess some force mythology in there as well, and and Luke growing into the man that he'll become. You know, or, or moving in that direction. Uh, and uh, it's very, very good. It links in quite well with the with Greg Pak's Darth Vader book that's coming out concurrently as well, falling in the same well, falling in the same period. Um, but yeah, this is the end of that. This is the end of that arc, and this is going to make a very good, uh, a very good first collected arc for this series of Star Wars. Um, this was very, very close to being my pick of the week. I have Whoa. to say, high very praise strong. indeed. High praise indeed. We'd, we'd like to take a moment at this point to apologise for Keith's spoiling of that 40-year-old movie. We do apologise for revealing the identity of Luke Skywalker's father. Well, I got I got some grief for spoiling uh, Dorian Gray on the previous podcast. So, <laughs> yeah, that's you know, right. You know, 140-year-old book, so... <laughs> We're not going to be able to talk about anything no, soon. <laughs> um, did any of you read Immortal Hulk number zero? See, with Immortal Hulk, I'm in a massive dilemma with it because obviously I've been backtracing it because I fell off it for a while and I've been backtracing it and I refuse to read it until I have it all. And therefore, I keep collecting it every month it comes out, but I may be missing about four issues. So by the time well, uh, I get to this, don't worry, you spoil away, but by the time I get yeah. to this, I'll, I'll, I'll get there eventually. Um, issue zero would be a good place to start because it, 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 it really fills in some some gaps. Uh, it is it is Al Ewing's book. Um but what it does, so it's 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 Al Ewing, but it it's a couple of reprinted stories, uh, a Bill Mantlo and uh, Mike Mignola story um, from from I think the seventies, uh, and 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 a lot of it, a lot of it, the, the, both of the stories cover. Uh, they're more stories about Bruce's father than about than about Bruce himself uh, and the. You know the, the 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 abuse that that Bruce's father gave him is a is a huge part of of Al Ewing's Immortal Hulk and and what has happened here. So so this this is two reprints with a with a wraparound 
that that very very effectively and stylishly bring together that sort of origin and then shoot those two stories re repurpose those two stories and shoot them out the back of the book straight into the immortal hulk um so i i would highly recommend this is very very good uh very very good indeed there's a an appearance by uh by a character who is very clearly stan lee um as a grave digger um and uh, a lot of the a lot of the the inside personality stuff, you know, the 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 multiple personality stuff. So it's and 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 the, the yeah, just very very good. Immortal Hulk Zero. I, I worried about it. I didn't think that I needed it, but in the in the tradition of of Marvel's Zero and Minus One comics, it's very much part of the part of the series. So uh, very much adds to the series. So if you're enjoying Immortal Hulk, I wouldn't hesitate to pick this up. So is that essentially reprints of older stories, but then Al Yoon has tied them into his modern exactly, mythology Alan, yeah. that he's building? Exactly. Exactly. So uh, so if you're enjoying Mortal Hulk, I would definitely get this. Um, if you're gonna be on um, if you're gonna be on X of Swords or Ten of Swords rather, uh, definitely pick up uh, X Men number twelve as a prelude. Um, the uh, the the X of Swords creation number one made a hell of a lot more sense to me. Uh, whenever, uh, given that I had read this, um, so it's just a, it's a brilliant story uh, on its own, but but also does a lot to does a lot to add to uh, to the, the the Ten of Swords mythos. I think this is Lionel Francis Yu's last issue on uh, X Men, isn't that right? X Men Twelve, yeah. Mahmoud Azrar's taking over, so That's not, not a bad, thing. bad substitute. Uh, and Wolverine number five is not tying in to Ten of Swords, but Wolverine versus Vampires. Uh, it's nearly like Wolverine and uh, what was that? Uh, the, the twelve days a night, or, or the one that we did in the movie? Night. Thirty days a night. Yeah, there you are. Uh, there's there's an element of that here. Uh, yeah, there's some great some great storytelling from from Benjamin from Benjamin Percy and uh, and Bogdanovich. Uh, great art um, as uh, as Wolverine and a a group of vegan vampires uh, go and hunt the other vampires. Who are becoming daywalkers by virtue of uh, blood clocks, which are vials of Wolverine's blood, his healing factor, which they attach to themselves and throughout the day leak into their system and allow them to 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 heal as they as the sun destroys them. You know, so it's very interesting. But uh, yeah, Wolverine's going 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 great guns. Yeah, that's the issue that when it came in, I must have looked at that cover about ten times, going, "That's such a nice Batman cover." <laughs> like, yeah, it really is yeah, yeah. I, I had to keep looking at the logo to like really convince myself it wasn't a Batman yeah, issue yeah 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 I'm with you <laughs> um, so yeah just a wee bit of love worth throwing out them for a few indie books just they're pretty much all indie books that are continuing they're, they're ones we've recommended before but we just always like to throw it out there show how much the quality of these books is, is continuing with uh, first up Seven Secrets number two which was yes. every bit as good, if not better, than issue one. Talk mm-hmm. about an emotional issue, two issues <laughs> in. Uh-huh. Um, I have to admit, I wasn't expecting the relationships to form in this issue that did, you know, given what the, the main characters had to give up in issue one. Mm-hmm. Two words for you, Tom Taylor. Tom Taylor. He does it to <laughs> us again. The, the best in the business at efficiency of storytelling. Uh, I think, and yeah, thoroughly wonderful issue. Art continues to be great on that book as well. And yeah, boom, have another massive hit in their hands. It's another one that the numbers certainly at the store have grown already uh, with number two coming out. Does this does this story now become about Casper then? 
a grown up a grown up Casper. Possibly, I suppose it depends when they. I suppose it depends when they are narrating the story from. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got that saga feel that I'd, I'd sort of pointed out with the first issue of, you know, someone talking about their past, but you don't know at what point in their future, I suppose. But yeah, great book again, uh, as is the latest issue of Once in Future, Kieran Gillen, Dan Mora, Tamara Bonvillain, just knocking it out of the park each and every issue. They decided not to retire after you uh, told them they'd peaked. And I'm very glad. They decided to go on. I'm very glad they decided to go on. Now, this didn't quite reach the peak of number 10, but that's only because Hot Fuzz. You know, that that, yeah. that, that moment is, as Keith said, Nightwing was his favorite panel of this week. You know, that was one of my favorite panels of this year. It was just tremendous. So meta, so clever, brilliant. Uh, but yeah, Once in Future 11 continues the horror stakes, continues... Uh, just continues to be a great book. Oh, grandma with a chainsaw. <laughs> what more do you need in comics than that? Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and that, 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 that scene where she calls Grendel a mucky pup. Look at the mess you've made. <laughs> yeah, the great thing is as well with Once in Future, obviously that's issue 11, so that'll be wrapping yeah. up at issue 12, the second arc, so second trade won't be too, too far behind. We'll, maybe number 12 we'll have a good proper chat again. <laughs> it wouldn't it wouldn't be like us to talk about every single issue of it would it mm. and then one more just to finish off with indie wise uh something yeah. that caught your eye roddy um gideon falls 25 i know you guys aren't reading it but um this this one was really special because it's it gave you 25 issues in and um don't really want to spoil it obviously but um the they sort of the entire issue explained everything that has came to be and it kind of gave you um the origin story of everything that's going on um jeff lemire andrea sorrentino andrea sorrentino just this book if you're a fan of art and style he what he did with like all the symbolism and the religious iconography in this one unreal his panel layouts are absolutely stunning they have to be seen to be believed it's not like a traditional panel structure with some of them some of them will just be the most crazy and inventive things you'll ever see so yeah i think we're we're two issues away now from the finale so really really looking Mm. forward to seeing it i'm definitely Definitely. gonna gonna pick that up whenever it's i mean there's maybe some with all these things there's maybe a reticence to pick them up when they're that deep in roddy yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, and yeah. uh, and knowing that it's coming to an end, uh, and and that there is a definitive end there, I'll I'll maybe make an effort now to to, to collect those in some form yeah, or another because sure you speak even, so highly about it. Sure, even we feel like that on the podcast sometimes about like even chatting about something that's like what issue you know twenty or fourteen or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. we are kind of like, oh, do people want to listen? You know, but yeah, they do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, that's exactly. It. I mean, the thing is, what well, what we always like to think with the podcast is we try our best to cover everything, but there's always going to be stuff that you're reading that I'm not, and you know, vice versa, and so forth. So it's and and it can be hard to talk about it, you know, in, in any sort of detail when you don't want to spoil it for everyone else, you know. So I have obviously in the past stepped away from the podcast for ten minutes so you guys could talk about Olgard, but mm-hmm. you, you'd just be talking to yourself for ten minutes, Roddy, because we're not reading Gideon Falls. Yeah. <laughs> struggled well, on the alien starting points one. That was twenty <laughs> minutes of talking to myself. So I don't know. I'd, I'd give it a go, but yeah. it might not be the best uh, radio. 
No, that's fair. That's fair. Cool. So that will bring an end then to the 16th of September. So we are going to take a quick break and we will be back then with the 23rd of September. So welcome back once again to the Reviews podcast. So we went through everything on the 16th of September there. We're now going to be focusing on titles out on the 23rd. You may be shocked to know that, again, I am going once again with a indie title for my pick of the week. I'll be honest, I was very close to picking the number one of this as my pick of the week, but it had the misfortune of coming out the same week as Three Jokers number one, and I don't think anything was going to get in the way of me gushing about that book. So what I have for you now, uh, you might be actually a little bored at this point of listening to my constant praise for our little tin hero, Kanto, but I'm going to do it anyway. Canto 2, The Hollow Man number 2. So, written by David M. Boer, art by Drew Zucker. Uh, I will continue to shout from the rafters for this title uh, while it remains this charming, this intriguing, rich in textured, and just downright brilliant. Uh, you know, I, I gave this a, a second read just before we were recording. I was making my notes and so forth. And the more I thought about it, Canto is a book that we, as a world, I think, desperately need right now. You know, we need a story about hope. We need a, a story about a previously downtrodden hero who refuses to give up. We we need a hero with a big heart who will fight for a better tomorrow, but not just for himself, but for everyone around him. I just think we need this book. And, and while the first book is exceptional, uh, I have nothing but praise for the first book. Whisper it quietly. This might be better. Um, so, issue two. Kanto, he's off on his journey and his team is assembled. You know, all their trusty Malarex are in tow as well. So, story-wise at this point, Kanto uh, and his men are venturing out in a bid to unravel the mystery of their dying clocks. Obviously, Kanto aside. In the hope that discovering the source of the Shroud of Man's magic will give them back their freedom that they had so briefly earned, I suppose, at the end of the first book. You know, what's wonderful about Kanto, well, there's many wonderful things about it, but one of my favourite things about it is how quickly it can change in tone, you know, and it does it gracefully and naturally. You know, take the first couple of pages of this book, so you open it up, and page one is sort of a play on the traditional being out with the kids in the car, are we there yet, sort of thing, and there's all this charm and banter between the characters, you know, they're trying to scare each other, they're trying to get under each other's skin, that kind of thing, but... It's almost like a little play on each other for who can be the alpha. But you turn the page and you've got this actual real, almost scary setup of going into this village. And there's no one about. And, you know, as they're approaching it, one of them says, you know, strange, I hear no sounds from the town. Perhaps a trick of the meadow. And then Kanto says, the silence is no trick. The village is empty. So it's almost gone into sort of eerie horror within a page of just being sort of, uh, a, a title about the camaraderie between these characters so this leads to a, a double page spread of what seems to be endless droves of scarecrows all of them with sort of like a pumpkin bag on their head and they're then set upon by violent winged creatures but as his comrade saying again this is another great sort of character development moment uh, as all these winged creatures are uh, approaching them they're saying, there are too many, we have to run. And then Kanto goes, no. And then you turn the page and it's this great splash page, we no longer run. You know, it shows how far the character has come, but also not just as a character, but also as a leader. You know, this is why these 
these other guys are out on this journey with them and and I think this is genuinely like a spine tingling moment I, I think I actually let out a sort of yeah sort of moment when I was reading this um you know I must praise Drew Zucker's art at this point you know Canto was always a good looking book it was always full of charm and whimsy and great character design but for me this this definitely feels like a step up I definitely think that this is that he's getting better as an artist you know you're so drawn into this world both through the the script writing but also through the art but there's a great part later on as well where I come to it and again I always go on about it. I feel like I mention it every podcast but efficiency of storytelling again and there's this part where the winged creatures sort of all gang up on Kanto's Malarax and pull him away from the crowds and there's this close-up of Kanto where he sort of goes my friend and then you literally only have about four panels later before the Malarax is able to escape then he gives the Malarex a big hug and is like, you're okay. You know, you feel the bond between these characters and they were literally separated for a couple of panels, but yet it still felt like a real moment of danger followed by a real moment of triumph. You know, it's a, it's a, for me, it's a testament to a creative team who are perfectly in sync, firing on all cylinders, you know. Even as you get further through the book, I, I, again, I don't want to sort of spoil the whole book because there's a lot of mythology and world building in this issue. I think it was actually a step up from issue one in that sense. But they even managed to uh, sneak in an awesome nod to Lord of the Rings on the second <laughs> last page, which I adore. I just think it's great. Um, it's it's sort of a little nod to Lord of the Rings when the, the hobbits are pulling away on the boat and Frodo's being chased and Frodo jumps from the docks onto the boat. And it's it's a subtle little thing. Some people might not even notice it, but, you know, they're, they're throwing out nods to Lord of the Rings. What is not to love? Uh, for me, easily the best all ages title in comics in the last few years. It's just, I know we chatted to the guys behind it, and that maybe slightly skews your opinion of it in a way because they're such nice guys and and really passionate about what they do. But none of that would matter a jot if they weren't as good creatively as they are. And every issue Kanto comes out, it goes close to the top of my pile, if not the top. So, just it's a real nice book to read, you know, and it leaves you with a good feeling, and you know. You can't you can't say more than that. Yeah, can't argue with that. On, <laughs> I think you said it all. Um, mm-hmm. I do you know when you were saying about that little transition mm-hmm. between like humor to the darkness. I got um, I got some. Have you ever seen Return to Oz? Mm. Yeah, I got some. Do you know like when you think about the Wizard of Oz and then you think about Return to Oz that. The kind of transition reminded me of, and the the uh, deserted town kind of reminded me of that. Um, it's when Dorothy goes to the Emerald City in Return to Oz, and it's like in ruins, and then everyone's been turned to stone, and all scarecrows turned to stone. So yeah, it kind of gave me that that dark fantasy, like dark children's fantasy kind of thing going on. It's yeah, it's a perfect book, and I love the colors as well. I love the the palettes like expanded in this one, and it's just it's phenomenal stuff. Mm, I, I mean, I think uh, I don't know if the Lord of the Rings nods stop there, Alan. Um, obviously, they've gone to this town to to find Elora, uh, Caro's friend from from the original series, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know if you remember the the end of the Prancing Pony and uh, Lord of the Rings and Bri- you know Bree and. Uh, when the when the hobbits come in and it's all it's all light and merriness and you know it comes in paints you know uh, you know that sort of deal <laughs> and then you know 
there in the corner, shrouded in in the darkness of his own projection, nearly as Strider. You know, and if you look at if you look at the the pages where uh, where Laura is is introduced, you know she's sitting in the end, and then, and in the background, you know you can whenever uh, it, you know it's light and there's the light of the fire, but whenever Laura is telling Canto the story of of what happened uh, after he left her, you know her background is dark and the the, the shade of her hair is over her eyes, you know, at, uh, and of course she herself is a ranger of some kind, so. Uh, so yeah, I think there's a uh, just just loving loving nods there, you know. Um, I love the scene where where the Malarex just throws the fury into the fire. <laughs> <laughs> that was class. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, and a and a very a very literal cliffhanger. Oh yeah, very much so. And even then, really well written, where it was like you know. They've got away in the boat, and it's like, so those were the Furies, not so fearsome as they fly away. Next time we will not be so fortunate. Next time we will be ready. Friends, I'm not sure there will be a next time. And then they go over the, <laughs> over the edge. So, yeah, just yeah, yeah. wonderfully charming, brilliant book. And, and again, it, it, it can't be stressed enough how great an all-ages book this is. I'm sure we don't have an awful lot of younger listeners. You know, a lot of the guys who listen to this podcast are probably no older readers like ourselves or whatever, but... You know, th- this is a book that I like to think that an eight-year-old will get something different out of it than we would get out of it. It's just tremendously well told, brilliantly illustrated, and again, it's it's a title that because we talk about it so much and the quality of it stands up, just keeping it in stock is really difficult. Uh, so, yeah, get on it while you can, guys. This is going to be a five-issue miniseries. This is issue two. Uh, we do our absolute best to keep it in stock in the store as much as we can because we love the little tin man, so... I'm yeah. looking forward to. Uh, I'm looking forward to passing this on to a younger reader. That younger reader being my uh, being my brother, who's uh, who's 39 and a father. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be giving away your age, Keith. Stop it. <laughs> but I like that you said younger, and he's still older than me, so we're all good. Oh yeah, yeah, there you are. <laughs> so yeah, so that's my pick of the week for uh, the 23rd of September. That was Canto Two, The Hollow Man, number two. And then we're on to yourself, Roddy. So I had an indie clean sweep. You have a Marvel clean sweep. I know. Speaking of metal men, yeah, um, we're going for a Christopher, not only a Marvel clean sweep, but a Christopher Cantwell clean sweep. So, yeah, uh, I'm going for Doctor Doom, which is written by the aforementioned Christopher Cantwell. We have art from the awesome Salvador La Roca. Oh, absolutely awesome. Yeah, unreal. And then color artist is Guru EFX, and then letterer is Corey Pitti. Um, so, yeah, born to a poor nomad family, an ill-fated witch, Victor Von Doom used his talent for combining sorcery and technology to take over the European country of Latveria. Over the years, Doom has wielded his power for great good and for great evil. Um, So this sort of follows the story. We've had six issues so far um, in which Doom has publicly condemned the flaws of this international program called the Andalion Project, which involved generating a black hole on the moon to solve climate change. Um, Looking forward to seeing if that happens in real life. Um, Uh, I don't think so. (laughs) So, um, when Latverian missiles struck the facility, killing nearly 3,000 people and expanding the black hole, Mr. Doom became the prime suspect. Dr. (laughs) Doom. Yeah, the great doctor. Um, 
Sim has been on the run ever since and came to believe that the nation of Simcaria framed him for the online attack, trying to usurp his rule of Lafaria. Um, he began a trek back to his homeland alongside time traveler Kang the Conqueror. Together they fended off the pursuing agents, but obviously Kang, not being a very trustworthy man, uh, betrayed Doom. But uh, when Doom came into the possession of the ultimate nullifier, um, Doom, you know, he's a great guy and he eventually managed to defeat Kang. And he notified Reed Richards, longtime enemy of him, Dr. Doom. Um, he notified him that the blue marble was the key to fixing the online project. And then Doom continued his journey home. And he has been on that journey for a long time. <laughs> Because issue number six came out in March, and here we finally have issue seven out in September. So, yeah, um, in this issue, I thought it was absolutely stunning, the art. You have to look at it alone for this awesome image of Dr. Doom riding a bear. Just <laughs> absolutely incredible stuff from Salvador La Roca. Um, so Doom, Doom um, returns Basically, he has returned to Latveria and he is he joins up within the inner circle who are basically sort of holed up in the wilderness. Um, he has a band of loyalists and this issue sets up a lot of great character building work because Doom needs to see if he can still trust his agents. And after he does, he kick, there's a few... It's sort of like a really interesting mirror of Iron Man, this this book, because Doom has that same ego, obviously, maybe even more of an ego. Um, but it's the way he treats his uh, band of loyalists, which is amazing, horrifying, but also quite funny at the same time. Um, is it Boris, his right-hand man, who's yeah, dying, dying, basically, but he yeah, still yeah. makes a kneel? which is just beyond it's like terrifying but because we're we're invested in doom it's almost like a little bit funny really yeah really. yeah it is yeah it's uh yeah i mean it's a obviously it's a change of gear from the from the previous six issues you know mm -hmm. uh but uh it's it's just that whenever he gets back i will rest now prepare my winter cloaks and tribunal mask there is to be a reckoning <laughs> <laughs> there's no oh. That tribunal mask is, How is cool is that? freaky. Yep. So yeah, there, there, there's. No, oh, sorry. Go ahead. The 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 crux of it is, of course, that that they all need to swear an oath of fealty to Doom, an oath that he'll either accept or he won't, and it's because Doom is in possession of the ultimate nullifier, which is the the device that Reed Richards wielded to to, to that could potentially destroy Galactus. Um, but not that that matters anymore from Donny Cates Thor, but <laughs> but uh, it's the it's the ultimate weapon, and uh, Doom. In order to to wield the ultimate nullifier, you need to have purity of thought, and and Doom doesn't feel he has that at the minute, so he needs to give it someone who to give it to someone who is loyal to him. But in doing so, he has given the empire over everything, you know. So, uh, yeah. but yeah, it's very interesting. There's some fantastic scenes in this. There's some fantastic um, dialogue as well with Doom. Sort of, you get you get a sense, you get a real sense of the character of Doctor Doom in this. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, there's the one where 
I'm not too sure of the guy's name, but he he's basically written a love letter to one of the monarchs of Simcaria. Mm-hmm. And uh, Doctor Doom's just like, um, I'll give you to him like a running head start because you know what's going to happen. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's like, <laughs> there's some fantastic. It's like horrifying comedy, but um, there's a great page turn where he like he basically shoots the guy and he's like, feed him to the bear. And then on the next page, it's like a bear sort of look. He just looks like a wee helpless dog, just but he's got this foot hanging out of his mouth. It's grim. Mm-hmm, but yeah, very mm-hmm. funny. Um, it's a great story too because you get you get a lot of um, Doctor Doom. Like there's a lot of introspection, and certainly in the first six issues, he he's getting a lot of these visions. And towards the end, he uh, basically he gets back into Laferia and deals with his usurper Mm -hmm. um, doing some very horrifying things to him. And then he has this vision of his, uh, it's his future children and they basically have cut up their own faces to show that they are worthy of the leadership in Laferia. Mm -hmm. At least, Um, at least you think it's a vision. mm, Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, and then you've sort of got that, and then there's another sort of little story too with the Blue Marvel, who is a character I'm not very familiar with, but he he's on the antline black hole in the moon, and he uses his energy to stop the hole. Um, but he is he is sort of like a living uh, like black but, hole or something. Yeah, he is. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly um, it. He he basically uses up all his energy to stop this black hole. Um, but he has no power to pull himself out. And then that in turn, he seems stuck. But that is until we see a new figure arrive out of the wormhole. So that's there's a great little twist there. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that goes and how that's came about. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I thought this was like a massive return to form, some standby moments, some horrific visuals but also a lot of you know dark comedy in there too um so yeah Campwell, this this little metal man side of the marvel universe i'm really digging it um but yeah dr doom class were you reading it alan one for me to hit on the trades i'm afraid mm. i read the first issue or two i think uh and i think i might have been one of those classic cases of giving up my issues for someone and then not being mm. able to get them back so to speak which i do a bit too often to be honest but no i i, I will be i've already pre-ordered the trades for the first one the first uh, six was solicited as trade so i think i'll give it a read then because you guys do praise it quite relentlessly so that cannot be a bad thing so yeah i'll definitely give it a a, a crack but in the meantime that was roddy's pick which is dr doom number seven so, yep, that just leaves us Keith then with his pick of the week from 23rd of September. Finally, mercifully, there's a DC title to talk about. <laughs> and it's a death metal title. What's going on, Keith? It, uh, What's it going on? It surely is. It surely is. It's uh, Dark Knight's death metal, speed metal number one. Um, so, a bit of a toss-up for me uh, this week as to what my what my, my pick was going to be. Um there were a, there were a couple of really good ones on there. Undiscovered Country and of course Ten of Swords started this 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 week uh, with its one shot. But uh, the two that were sitting at the top of the pile were uh, were the Flash Seven Six Two, which of course is the finale of Joshua Williamson's run on the Flash. His 
hundred and something issue run on that story, um, along with the finished with hard part Porter, and it finished the, uh, the 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 finish line um, story, which is a culmination of uh, a culmination of, as I say, uh, Williamson's run on the Flash. But why did uh, why did Speed Metal, which is also by Joshua Williamson, pip it? Uh, it's because I think this is, as well as being, I think a fairly important part of death metal. This is like an epilogue to uh, to to Williamson's run on the Flash. It it also pinpoints my. Although I love Barry Allen, uh, Wally West is my favorite Flash. Um, you know, he was the Flash who was he was Kid Flash in the Teen Titans whenever I first started sort of reading comics you know so he was my introduction to the flash um so so wally west would be would be my flash um and in addition to that it also ties up so much stuff from 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 the last couple of years dct it it ties up everything from rebirth right up to now which which includes uh metal which includes um Heroes in Crisis, Flash Forward, the stuff that Wally has been going through, um, you know, and and, and the, the the Flash War stuff from from Williamson's run. So it's just it ties everything up in in a, in a fairly neat ball ball, and then races it all off into all off into death metal. So um, you remember that you remember DC Rebirth, whenever uh, whenever the, the, the seminal point of which whenever Wally reappeared, having been lost in the Speed Force, um, he was lost in the Speed Force. The the world he, he loved changed whenever he returned. Nobody could remember him. Um, the Flash, you know, Barry is his lightning rod and brought him back. But but his world had changed while he was in the while he was in the uh, in the Speed Force and lost in the Speed Force, and it had changed because of Doctor Manhattan. Um, you know, all of that, all of that, the, the whole rebirth, the, the manipulation of 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 the New Fifty Two, where where Manhattan had taken so much of the DC heroes history, you know, changed their relationships because he was playing about with, uh, with Superman as a, as a, uh, a pivot point in the universe, you know, that sort of thing. So, so it really, it really goes through all of that stuff, you know, Wally coming back, um, the obsession of, of, of trying to get his life back that led him to hurt the people he loved, the, the, the flash war stuff, the flash war stuff that then led to, what he did in Heroes in Crisis, which from Williamson's run on, on Flash, we know was actually part of the Reverse Flash's plan. Uh, the the has has been recruited in Flash Forward to to fix the timeline, finding his children, uh, using the Mobius chair, and becoming, you know, in effect a, a you know a kind of Doctor Manhattan. You know, having that that what we now know as Crisis Energy. From uh, from the, the the Justice League run and, and, and Dark Metal, he you know he, he is in control of that crisis energy. So so uh, and then it goes into to to death to to metal and, and death metal and uh, and the Batman who laughs trying to trying to steal the steal in the Mobius chair and and all of that stuff. And now and now the uh, and now the, the Batman who laughs is is after them because he wants he wants Barry's crisis energy and Bar uh, sorry. Wally's crisis energy and uh, three flashes. Wally, Barry, and Jay are on the run while the uh, by the, the 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 darkest night, uh, who the the Batman who laughs has now become, uh, follows them. So so yeah, it's just it's a story about these three men, uh, and in particular a story about about Wally and and 
Wally and Barry, who who really haven't repaired their relationship since the Flash War. Um, you know, which is which is a year ago. They're being pursued by dark flashes, uh, spawned by the by the the, the darkest night, and uh, it's just it's just it's it's great stuff. You know, Wally, Wally uses a. Uh, a uh, Uses a speed, uses a speed formula. formula. I'm getting a lot of feedback there, guys. Yeah, I've just noticed that myself. As someone's... Oh, we're, we're okay. Think we're some, okay now. Think something might have come out when you moved there, Roddy. Yeah, okay. I think we're all good. So I'll, we, I'll edit that out, don't worry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Wally uses this, this speed force formula that uh, Johnny Quick developed to tap into the speed force and use it to stop time. So... So uh, the, the Flash family can, although it's accelerating the burnout of the Speed Force, and that's the that's the ticking clock here. You know they've got time to they've got time to deal with their come up with a plan and deal with a problem. And of course, you know it's about that relationship between Barry and Wally. You know Barry has always led and Wally has always followed, but but you know Wally is now he's his own man, and and it's time for it's time for Wally to lead and and Barry to follow. Um, and it's just a real you know the the things that Wally has learned about through the Flash Forward miniseries and and the Heroes in Crisis and him finally forgiving himself for what he did and had to do or felt he had to do in Heroes in Crisis. Um, so it just it just brings all of these things together, you know. And just that just a lovely moment where the you know so Wally's costume is now blue, the you know Doctor Manhattan blue. So we've got the blue you know Flash Wally's Flash and Barry's red and you know. The two of them shaking hands, you know, and Barry saying, "Whatever we do, we do it together," you know, as a Flash family. Which, of course, is the Flash family is the core of of Williamson's run on the Flash. So it's it's just fantastic stuff. And then the uh, you know Wally's Wally's got this crisis energy. So the the Darkest Knight is trying to, to to look through the cracks of the Speed Force and change them into the their metal universe, their dark metal counterparts, which which he manages to do with uh, with Wallace and with Jay and with 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 Barry, but uh, Wally remains the same, and it's just about them, you know, running faster than they've they've ever run before because they're not just running for themselves; they're running for the world. Uh, so they, they they change their plans, and instead of running away from the darkest night, they run directly towards and into the hordes. And it's just uh, you know in order that that Barry can try and reunite with the Mobius chair. Um, but it's just fantastic stuff. It's just. Uh, the sacrifice that that Wally makes in order to, uh, just in order to to do what he needs to do. Um, but it's it's just a great it's a great it's a great round off to to as I say to, to Williamson's run, fantastic run on the Flash, a legendary seminal run on the Flash, uh, and a, a nice a nice round off of of Wally's story and and rebirth, um, and it kicks off then straight back into. Uh, and to continued in, in metal number four, death metal number four. So, uh, so yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's great. It's, it's really great. Uh, you know, um, those last couple of pages are, are fantastic. <laughs> you know, Wally says to Barry lead the way. And he says, nah, I think you got it covered. It's your turn. Wally racing towards the, uh, the camera, you know, in his blue suit, just going damn right. <laughs> so very, very good. Very good. Uh, very good one shot issue. <laughs> Definitely my highlight of death metal so far. Uh, it's a it's a head and shoulders above, I think anything else that I've read in it yet, um, and that's probably just because of that connection to Wally and that connection to to the Flash series. So, 
so yeah, nice job. Yeah, I think that's fair. It's it's definitely rewarding for long-term flash readers. I mean, anyone who was on the flash, I, I said to him they needed to really get this because I, I think in a way this is more Williamson's last issue in the flash than 762 even is. You know, it's yeah, it, it's a fitting conclusion for it. And I think a special mention as well for the art by Eddie Barrows. Eddie Barrows is someone you'll maybe get to know a bit better, Keith. He did the art for a lot of Nightwing's New 52 run. Mm, so, okay. Uh, really, really good artist. So he is very, uh, very dynamic his, art. His art really encapsulated the because it, it, it all takes place outside of normal reality. Yeah. And and in the speed force and the speed is everything, you know. And his art really has that velocity to it, uh, you know. And in a way that maybe maybe Howard Porter couldn't have couldn't have done and that, that you know because Howard Porter's art is definitely a wee bit more open and a wee bit. Uh, I don't know, but uh, yeah, it was it was a, it was a great issue. Did you enjoy it, Alan? Yeah, I thought it was fantastic, and it's it's interesting that you say that uh, about it being essential. I wholeheartedly agree. I I did see Snyder put out uh, Scott Snyder put out a tweet saying that you know events would be covered in Death Metal Four, but this was a story worthy of a full one shot, definitely. Mm, and mm-hmm. you know, we'll always try and guide people as best we can, saying you know if it's essential or if it's not. You know, a, a good example is this week, one came out called Multiverse's End, which I personally think is the best one so far, but it's nowhere near essential. It's just a fun, fun issue and mm. sort of a- adheres to the, the bombastic and over-the-top nature of metal, whereas this this is essential storytelling big time. And it was a, it was a book full of just great moments, I thought. Yeah, you know, absolutely. The, you know, the, the, the whole book was almost about the passing of the torch, I thought. You know, cause you you have the passing of the torch in it from Jay to Barry, and then you have it from Barry to Wally, and it's it's a lot about legacy, and and that's that's one thing I love about DC Comics is when it actually celebrates its legacy with these mm, characters mm-hmm, rather than mm-hmm. just whatever the most modern thing is or the hottest thing is or whatever. When it yeah, celebrates yeah, the I mean, legacy, that's its strength. I got I, I got to say, I think I think that is the strength of the the entire DC ethos is what they do well is is legacy. You know, is that Batman to Nightwing? Is that you know Barry to Wally? You know the the legacy of the of the Green Lanterns. I think I think they do legacy very very well. Um, you know, for for sure, it's 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 something that that Marvel doesn't doesn't do a lot of. You know what I mean? Maybe Miles Morales and and, and Peter Parker, but but not to that same degree. You know, not not with that the the weight of history on it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, very much so. Yeah, cool. So, yes, that's Keith's pick of the week, which is Death Metal, uh, the speed metal tie-in by Joshua Williamson and Eddie Barrows. I think it's only right that if we're moving now on to honourable mentions for this week, you may as well kick it off, Keith, with the the partner issue to this, I suppose, which was the actual end of uh, Mm. Joshua Williamson's run. You may as well tie the two together. Yeah, You guys, neither of you guys have been on Flash at all, have you? I've been trade reading it. So I'm a wee bit behind. Okay, but you're you're reading Joshua Williamson and Batman Superman, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I mean I just I'm really looking forward to seeing what he's going to do next. Um but he deserves a break. He's been running for a long time on uh, on the Flash. Um but but uh yeah, this is just this this picks up the you know to the end of the, the end of finish line which it's just been arc after arc building on what on on Reverse Flash and and how he's been systematically destroying uh, Barry's life or trying to, to create all these problems and you know they're tra- how they're trapped in a loop of death and rebirth and 
every time the universe is rebuilt, there's one constant, you know, as, as Reverse Flash says, you and me, you know, I've seen the future, it's horrible, crisis after crisis, the horrors ahead are greater than anything you've ever known, you know, and you can you can either suffer, you know, or you can run alongside me in the speed force forever, it's the only way to stop the suffering that I'll inflict on you and your family, but but uh, that's not that's not the Flash way, that's not how Barry's, Barry, you know, Barry's given two options and he immediately finds a third, um, you know, a third that depends on his his humanity uh which is is just something that that eobard thorn just cannot cannot deal with so um it's a it's a fantastic end to uh, a fantastic end to what has been a a brilliant a brilliant run um there's a lovely panel uh about two-thirds into the book with the entire flash family together you know uh the kids the <laughs> the older flashes and uh and the it's just it's 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 great. Um, it really is, and it uh, it just pulls things it pulls things together fantastically, you know. And and uh, I can't say enough about this. I just can't say enough about this run. You know, it was the the run that that nearly got sidelined, I suppose, through Rebirth, uh, because you know the the focus was very much on on Tom King and Batman, and uh, and Josh Williamson, Joshua Williamson, and the Flash has just been. The writer and the book that just just spun along, you know, there wasn't any, there wasn't wasn't about fireworks, it wasn't about about big, you know, event things, or it was it was just a fantastic a fantastic run from start to finish. Um, so I highly recommend uh, I highly recommend uh, getting on it now. It's now it's finished, and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what's next for Joshua Williamson and uh, and what's next for the Flash, yeah. for sure. Quite a quite a poignant wee end page, but uh, I'll not spoil it for you. <laughs> well, I mean, if you enjoy Williamson's work, I highly recommend his indie stuff, uh, Birthright with Image Comics with Andre Bresson and uh, Neil Bider, which I talk about all the time. So you uh, do. With Mike Henderson, which is uh, an awesome one. But yeah, I mean, I think Joshua Williamson comes out of this rebirth era uh, very much as it's almost like he's a cult writer or something as you say he maybe deserves more praise than he's actually received because maybe he was in the the shadow of the epic long tom king batman run but you know he managed to outrun him if you will by a good tw- <laughs> 20 issues or so so i think this will be a, a, a flash run that stands the test of time the same way people oh, talk yeah. about jeff john's run and you know i'm a big fan of new 52 run with uh Bucoletto and manipul but uh, no, the Flash is uh, it's it's a great run. I think the last thing I read was Flash War, so I don't think I'm mm. massively behind. I think it's just no, you're a- not too bad. You're not too bad. It's just I mean, it's really in, ingrained in me that uh, you know what what Flash represents to the DC universe is hope, mm-hmm. uh, and not just not just Barry, but but Wally as well. Uh, they're they're the hope of the DC universe uh, to my mind, you know, and uh, the that 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 hope that things will. Things will be better, and that you can outrun the past, uh, and uh, and and run to the future. You know, it's uh, keep moving forward, uh, never get stuck, sort of thing. So it's never never dwell too 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 much. You know, would you say that they have successfully redeemed Wally then at this point? Because I know certainly around the time with Heroes in Crisis, there was a lot of you know fan outrage, if you will, that you know that he had turned out to be the killer and. People were saying Tom King didn't know what he was doing. And you know what? It's a curious thing that, you know, I do wonder how far ahead they plan these things or if it's a case of Tom King told Joshua Williamson what he was planning and Joshua Williamson was just like, 
Oh, Tom, God, I got to sort all this out now. You know, <laughs> I'm really curious how much collaboration there is there. You know, I think, I think, yeah, I think you're. I think they they have. I think through Flash Forward and through this, uh, they have redeemed Wally. Wally has. Wally has has done his penance uh, in Flash Forward, and and not just you know he's already been forgiven. It's about him forgiving himself, mm-hmm. and that that last panel and and in Speed Metal would suggest that he has he has forgiven himself and realised that he's not necessarily to blame for everything that mm-hmm. that befell you know Heroes in Crisis and, and beyond. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Cool. So, first honourable mention then for the 23rd of September, Flash 762, the end of Joshua Williamson's seminal run. So, just a couple of ones I wanted to throw a bit of love for with DC. The first one was Batgirl number 49. Uh, I'm not usually much of a Batgirl reader, I have to admit. I only started picking up these issues because they were tie-ins to Joker War, which I think the tie-ins have really added depth and texture. This one was actually to do with, uh, it's a conclusion to a two-part story which is uh, called The Many Deaths of Batgirl. Essentially, all these Batgirls start turning up dead around Gotham City, and every time one turns up, the media reports it, and people think that you know, Batgirl actually is dead, but it turns out someone's going around dressing people up as Batgirl and dropping bodies off around the city. At the same time, you've got James Gordon Jr. back, who was such a pivotal role in The Black Mirror, which was a great Scott Snyder run on, on Batman, and we haven't really seen James Gordon Jr. since. And... He's been brought back. He's trying to sort of heal relationships with Barbara, but also with Gordon. Because what's interesting and what's being explained in Batgirl, or what's been explored, sorry, in Batgirl, is a very fractious relationship between Barbara and Commissioner Gordon. Because ever since Gordon was infected uh, with through Batman Superman and essentially became a bad guy, uh, Barbara and, and James have just never real Commissioner Gordon have never actually healed that relationship since. So there's a lot of distrust amongst the Gordons at the moment. It's actually quite an interesting uh, little thing we got going on there. But Batgirl is actually coming to an end with issue 50. Uh, so this is actually the second last issue. And there's a lot of rumors that, that 50 might culminate in the return of Oracle, which would be quite interesting because... At the end of this Batgirl issue, it actually reminded me of a classic Spider-Man story, Spider-Man No More. At the end of this issue, it's Ooh. it's almost like, you know, she's saying Batgirl No More. So it's, again, not a character I would traditionally read, but I actually thought this has been really great. The last few issues, Cecil Castellucci writing and Robbie Rodriguez, who probably most famously known for being the co-creator of Spider-Gwen uh, on the art and our favorite hardworking colorist, Jordi Belair on colors. So, yeah, Batgirl 49, just worth picking up for the Joker War tie-ins alone, I have to say. The other one that I thought was worth definitely a mention this week was the ever-brilliant Suicide Squad by Tom Taylor. We always have to fit him in somewhere. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, art by Bruno Redondo. This is just a great series. I, I'm, I'm so gutted that this is only going to be 11 or 12 issues, but... This issue essentially is all about them trying to sneak in to grab a high-ranking senator who has uh, knowledge on the whereabouts of Ted Cord, who is the big bad guy in this. You know, one of them <laughs> is able to actually take the senator and basically what's like teleport him to underneath the sea, and that's where they're going to question him so that he knows he has a literal uh, ticking clock at his at his head, so to speak. But even just the way they. Uh, they leave him at the end of that is uh <laughs> yeah. oh yeah it's a it's a wee bit of a 
it's a wee bit of a, a pro-environmental message, isn't it? Delu- del- delusional greedy bastard thinks he owns the world. I have some friends reminding him that he does not. <laughs> yeah, so they're dealing with a member of the Suicide Squad who is essentially half fish, half man, and he comes back up and says, "After Cord's uh, location, okay, do you also have the Senator? Oh, did you want him back for some reason? That spineless mouth breather championed a lot of dump more waste into the sea. Delusional greedy, beep, thinks he owns the world. I have some friends reminding him he does not, and there's this great panel of all these sea creatures approaching him under the sea. Um, and then the rest of the issue primarily deals with... Uh, so th- so I should say at the start, this issue was hyped for months as the death of Deadshot. Uh, they released promo art really early on, and I think a lot of people were wondering, was Tom Taylor going to you know, actually make good on that promise, or was that going to be a little bit of misdirection or whatever? But, but yeah, this issue explores his relationship with his daughter, Zoe, is starting to get really good with guns as well, and... Deadshot's obviously trying to raise her the right way and say, you know, that she shouldn't be learning all that kind of stuff and, you know, trying to protect his daughter from the life that he had. But then it ends up with uh, with some great action scenes through this as they basically go to court defense uh, and looking for Ted Court. And then it has a really unexpected cameo uh, towards the end. Maybe two unexpected cameos. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, I suppose you know the the smoking gun is a is a cameo, but who the who the smoking gun is pretending to be, shall we say? We'll not give it away too yeah. much. But uh, I love how Deadshot works out that who they think they are is not actually who they are. But uh, it gave me hope that in the future Tom Taylor may write a certain DC character. Yeah, it's a really weird one for me because I I loved it. I think Bruno Redondo is fantastic. Tom Taylor's combination of like action-packed writing with like the the heartfelt stuff too is really good, but the quality of it is almost affected by the fact that it's cancelled. So it, it just I really dug it, but it's like it's almost meaningless now, you know. That sort of I don't know feel a bit bitter towards it because it's my one D my one DC title, so I have to be. A bit negative. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I I think the way to look at it now is as a maxi series because I don't I don't necessarily think this quote got cancelled. You know, Tom Taylor has said that he got the right to run he wanted. Friendly Neighborhood Spider Man only lasted like fourteen issues. Deceased to six issues yeah, at a okay. time. Yeah. You know, I know Tom Taylor's obviously done some long form stuff with Injustice and and stuff like that, but. By and large, a lot of his runs are sort of 10 to 12 issues. So I believe he's telling the story he wants to tell. Uh, I do have my reservations as to whether Deadshot is actually dead, uh, giving technology they showed off that Superman was using. Uh, so that might not even be Deadshot, but uh, that'll be one to keep an eye on. But I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great, it was a great issue. Um, I sort of, as I think you were supposed to, he had sort of figured out nearly as Deadshot was figuring it out. You know, you knew when Deadshot knew that, that all was not as it seemed. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, like, uh, and it maybe explains what's going on with Ted Cord. Maybe, I don't know, because why is Ted Cord, who was the former Blue Beetle villain now, you know, it's weird. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a great, uh, great issue. I don't know, Alan, I'm not sure. Uh, it would seem, I don't know. I suppose it wouldn't be the first time that they said a character's dead and he's not been dead. It's not exactly... It's, it's comics, after all. Uh, I'll tell you what this issue made me think. Mm-hmm. I would love to see Tom Taylor writing hockey. Mm. That'd be an interesting shout. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, very well written character by uh, many great writers. Mm-hmm. I mean, Tom Taylor can turn his hand to anything. That's the thing. But I suppose uh, Hawkeye could probably straddle that line between humorous and action-packed yes, and spy. Yes, exactly. And, yeah, 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 yeah. That sort That's of it. thing. Do you know That's what he'd it. be really good at writing, Roddy? G.I. Joe. Mm, I think get Redondo in there too. Yeah. <laughs> Loving uh, it. Yeah. Cool. So that was just a, a couple of DC titles I thought that deserved a little bit of love from that week. Uh, we had mentioned some of the Marvel titles prior to this. Uh, unsurprisingly, Chip Zdarsky makes his 923rd appearance on the podcast with Daredevil 22. Now what an issue that was. That was very close uh, to the pick yeah. of the week. You know, I actually yeah. had that down as pick of the week, and then I thought, I can't keep just picking Daredevil every time it comes out. Mm-hmm. Uh, can't ignore, of course, the uh, the uh, the Chadwick Boseman tribute banners and all the Marvel titles this uh, this month. Yeah, that uh, was that kicked off on the 23rd of September. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, the Rest in Power Chad- Chadwick Boseman with the, the Black Panther uh, logos. So, And a lot of the, the issues actually have a, a lovely essay, essay by Tanahishi Coates. Um, uh, who who went to college with with Chadwick Boseman, uh, and and a new him of old. So uh, so there's, there's there's some of those in there. But yeah, I love this issue. This is the this is this isn't it the second issue of uh, Truth Truth Dare? Yep. Where uh, off with, yeah. where where Daredevil is on trial for the for the, the the manslaughter that he he committed, but not Matt Murdock. Daredevil is on trial. Daredevil masked and costumed uh as a as a superhero was on trial his his secret identity still still under wraps um you know after that unintentional murder of of leo carraro so he's offered himself up to be tried by a court of law as daredevil defended by the one and only foggy nelson um so that's that's interesting uh definitely so so this is the bail hearing uh and it's interesting you know it's a courtroom drama Matt Murdock as a lawyer, but he's also the he's also the defendant here as Daredevil. <laughs> you know, it's uh, so so you're getting to see the uh, the process from inside his head. You know, he knows what's going on as a as a as a world class lawyer. You know, uh, former former assistant district attorney of uh, of New York. Kingpin features fairly heavily. We've got a a cameo by uh, by Iron Man. Uh, you know who uh, you know swinging swinging off. Uh, of uh, Roddy's uh, Roddy's uh, pick of the week for the sixteenth of September uh, appears in this book um, at a, at a street level. Um, so there's a lot a lot going on. Sorry, I kind of hijacked you there, Alan. No, not at all, not at all. I mean, it's interesting. I think that one of the great things that Arsky has done through the run is actually highlight the supporting cast. There's been times where you know we've read it and went like this is more of a keen pin issue. I thought this was really an issue. The foggy really Sean. And he actually came a bit more to the fore with, obviously, his defense of Matt and so forth. So, you know, he's trying his best to be, like, all sunny disposition and positivity and it's all going to be okay, Matt. But you kind of get the feeling at this point Matt has resigned to possibly serving a little bit of a life in prison. Um, Yeah, just brilliant, brilliant book so far. And... And there was also little hints towards maybe Iron Man designing a slightly new costume for Daredevil, which is uh, kind of interesting. Yes, uh, definitely, it definitely is. And did you notice? You notice that as as Matt is potentially on the downward spiral again, Kingpin is on the way up. Is on the up again. He's uh, his his confidence levels are are through the roof. Um, so yeah, 
Yeah, great, great book. And as I say, I was it was close to being pick of the week, but we just do it that much. I just thought, you know what, let's let's let some other titles shine. Um another title that, you know, is consistently great at the moment, uh, and is all leading up to the the big bad event of the year, King and Black, is Venom twenty eight. This was the third part of the Venom Beyond arc. Had some major revelations in this issue uh, regarding identities of characters and so forth. You know, it was... Again, I, I found the art a little bit up and down uh, with it. But I did actually like the storytelling of this, I have to say. I really loved that uh, reveal ending with... Uh, it was the identity of Codex, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, the identity of Codex. I mean, well, first of all, you know what you're saying about the art... I think it's the same as it's the same as what we're getting here on Daredevil. As you've got standing, you know, standing artists, yeah. you know, currently. That, well, it's very much for Stegman to focus on Keenan Black. Oh, very much so. And 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 as say Daredevil, whatever uh, um, Mateo is 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 focusing on. Um, Chichetto on Daredevil. Chichetto, sorry, yeah. Chichetto is focusing on. Uh, you know, because he's off that. He he seems to be off that truth dare storyline. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it was that 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 uh, final that reveal and the, the reveal of who the team are as well. The 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 symbiote team, the good guys. Did you actually enjoy Deadpool in this? Is the question. Uh, I could take him or leave him. You know, <laughs> take him or leave him. I actually thought he was pretty good in this uh, issue. I'm the same. I'm not a, a Deadpool fan at all, but. I actually thought the the writing of him here was pretty good. At there were times I thought it felt like an audition for Donny Cates to write Deadpool, though. You know, because he there there was a lot of narration and a lot of look at the cool stuff I'm doing and all that kind of thing. So, but yeah, um, thought, great, great. I'll tell you what, I had figured out who Virus was before it was revealed. Oh yeah, yeah, I had uh, I had figured that one out. I meant to I meant to text you, <laughs> uh, but uh, the the comic beat me to it. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's. Uh, I mean, should should you do, do you need to you know tell us more about this character, or are you leaving that spoiler free? Oh, I mean, no, no way. I mean, I guess the 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 revelation that that uh, that virus, who's the the armor clad individual who's been following him around, is is Matt Gargan, who was the original Scorpion, but is also a former Venom host himself. Uh, you know, he hosted Venom. He was Venom during the uh, during the Dark Reign as part of the Thunderbolts under Norman Osborn. You remember he used to used to eat people left, right, and center, and you know that. So I had sort of I had sort of figured it out. Uh, you got a bit confused there, Roddy. Mm. <laughs> Just when you mentioned eating people, I was like, yeah, what? yeah, it was kind of it was kind of gross for a while there. The symbiote was a wee bit out of control um, when it was bonded to Matt Gargan, so. Uh, so yeah, so it was uh, it was a good one. Um, X of Swords creation. That was a big uh, bad boy. There was a lot of writing in that. Oh, there was. Yeah, yeah. Um, Hickman, uh, Jonathan Hickman, the head of X, and and Tini Howard, the writer on Excalibur, the current writer on Excalibur, um, bringing bringing stuff together. They really they really are bringing together the X Men title. And the uh, and the story from the Excalibur title, which is the magic side of uh, of the the X Men universe uh, right now. Um, so, and they seem to be doing it with some success. I'm going to need to give this another read. There was a lot going on. Yeah, and it doesn't slow down with uh, part two of X of Swords X Factor either. There's a lot of reading to that as well. 
Okay. I, uh, I read it last night, but but yeah, I mean, I I sort of stepped away from some of the X titles. I've I've moved on to reading it in trades and the Dawn of X stuff, and I was slightly worried jumping into this that I might not actually know sort of where all the pieces were, if you will, because Hickman is obviously such a long form storyteller. But I mm-hmm. I thoroughly dug this. Uh, I thought it was great having Apocalypse at the the forefront of a lot of the story. And there were some interesting revelations regarding his family and so forth. And yeah, there were, there were, um, and it, it's, it's, it is interesting because I mean, I'm, I like, I like Apocalypse's origin as it is in, in ancient Egypt, uh, you know, as the as Ensabanur, uh, and that. And I'm wondering if this, I mean, obviously the the characters that are introduced in this definitely have a, an Egyptian look to them. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm wondering just how it how it gels with what's already there regarding Apocalypse's origin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the, even the stuff that appeared in Jonathan Hickman's Shield, uh, where Apocalypse was a part of that as well. Um, so I think it there's maybe some some crossover here. So yeah, really really enjoyable. Really looking forward to seeing where this is going as it starts to uh, to pan out. And there was also yeah. the the setup for Sword, which was obviously a very were... much so. Yeah, we we talked about the peak uh, and and Sword the last uh, the last podcast. So uh, yeah, I love the uh, I love the interaction between uh, Scott and Gene and and Young Cable in this as well. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, a lot going on, and uh, and as I say, I'm looking forward to uh, to another read. For sure. Yeah, I'm kind of wondering, certainly from a store perspective, I think this is going to be a slow burner slightly, the same way House and Powers were, because when House and Powers were solicited and all the hype was building up for it, the pre-orders weren't that hot on it, but then it got one or two issues in and word started to spread about how good it was and how rich it was, and by the end of that title, you know, the, the orders, the pull lists on it had probably tripled. And leading up to this, I think a lot of people are slightly concerned. You know, it's it's across so many titles. It's one week it's an X Factor, the next week it's an X Force, the next mm. week it's an X Men. It was maybe a bit of a throwback to maybe the nineties releases. You know, things like Clone Saga and Nightfall and Death of Superman mm-hmm, that were across mm-hmm. so many titles. But since this came out last week, like slowly but surely, more people already have started jumping on it, and orders for the entire event X of Swords have doubled in the last week. So mm-hmm. it's it's interesting. It's almost like Hickman doesn't know how to to hype almost in the same way that say a Donny Cates does. Like Donny Cates has like we pre-orders in Kingdom Black six months in advance. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, Whereas yeah, yeah. it's almost like Hickman stuff comes out and people slowly jump on it because they hear such good things. So um, as I say, I read X Factor last night and it, it continues the good work. So yeah, I, I'm digging this so far. Two issues deep. There's three issues I think this week. Uh, Wolverine, X Force, and Marauders, I believe. So, uh-huh. uh, we'll we'll see if they can keep the momentum going on it. But uh, yeah, those were just some honourable mentions then for Marvel. Just finish off them with a little bit of indie, and this was quite an indie heavy week, so it was <clears throat> plenty to discuss here. So the first one I want to focus on is uh, a title called The Unkindness of Ravens. Uh, this was quite an under ordered title, I would say, which kind of surprises me because it really does have a umbrella academy sort of um feel to it you know it's it's all about the the outcasts it's it kicks off with the really interesting stuff because ravens where the title comes from ravens is they were ravens were witches who were able to fled the salem witch trials so they were ones that were able to quote fly away from it and they survived together and then this is sort of 300 years later it's to do with the uh the descendants from there 
Uh, it kicks off with a new girl coming to uh, with a girl coming to a new school. She moves around a lot with her father, and she plans to be completely unnoticed. Except the thing is, she bears a really eerie resemblance to a Raven member who has went missing. So everyone thinks that, oh, she's not missing. She's right there. Then it all becomes about which group this girl is going to go fall in with. Is she going to fall in with the Ravens? Is she going to fall in with like the, the jocks and the cheerleaders and all this kind of stuff? So really impressed with it as a first issue. The the artist was someone I'm not overly familiar with, an uh, artist called Mariana Ignazi, who I believe is an Italian artist. And the first couple of pages of it especially are sort of they almost look like they've come out of some ancient book it's you know I, obviously people can't see this you know i'm just going to sort of show you guys but it's almost like these old school sort of document type styles like Ooh, these old documents nice. that came out of you know old books but then it settles into more of a vibe that you would expect from something like maybe archie or riverdale that kind of thing but yeah really really good issue i mean the only reason i even read it was because Boomer, really, really good. Sorry, I should say the writer on it as well as Dan Panasan. Um, Boomer, really, really good about throwing out one per store sort of thank you variants for, you know, ordering their titles in. And that's what I read. So I got this rather sort of beautiful uh, issue. But I'm definitely going to be sticking with this. And it also has the distinction of being, believe it or not, the first comic that Andy has ever set and read in store with a cup of tea. <laughs> you know? Oh. The collector of all things himself set and read an entire issue in store, and he's going to stick with it as well. So it might be one uh, worth jumping on. I think first prints of it are still available, and it's actually went back to second print as well. So I just love the throwbacks to like the Salem Witch Trials and you know that kind of stuff, but then giving it a modern twist. So yeah, really, really, really strong first issue, I thought. Um, what else have we got? So we had New Undiscovered Country. So number eight hit this Ooh, time. Yeah, this is a good one. This is evolving into a very different book. Do not get the feeling that Undiscovered Country reminds you of the Crystal Maze a little bit? Yeah. With all yeah, its there's... with all its different zones <laughs> that look so different. Oh, yeah. oh, and there's there's Richard O'Brien as Uncle Sam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's definitely went off in a slightly different direction. It, it, this was a really interesting issue because. It was interesting to see sort of our main characters that we're following who were obviously thrust into the sort of the world of hell of the first arc. They're sort of sitting now going like, oh, this is more like it. This is sort of what I expected to see from America when we infiltrated it and this technology being used like this and this amount of, you know, thought going into this. So, of course, it'll all turn out to be a facade and it'll it'll be just as evil, no doubt, as the, uh, the first arc. But <laughs> really beautiful looking issue, I thought. Yeah, I mean... I was disgusted in the first place to find out that Chang, who is a, an ambassador for one of the uh, for one of the zones uh, out in the world, is in fact a hipster and doesn't wear any socks with his uh, with his dress shoes. <laughs> you know, in the first three pages, when that thing bites him, it was that was the most distressing part. Um, but yeah, I see what you mean, Alan. I know you're making you're making fun with that sort of crystal maze sort of. Uh, uh, reference there, to, but to I, a degree, I, you to may a not degree. be too far away. Yeah, um, this is a very, it's a very different unity, isn't it? Isn't that where we're at now? Yeah. Uh, you know, the city of unity, which is is very futuristic. It's it's all one color. It's all white. Everything is is part of the computer process that runs it. Um, I see Ace with the the coin again, and we're seeing that the time moves differently in each of the zones. So. 
less time has passed maybe in this zone than in in, in the previous zone. Yeah, uh, it's definitely so thrown up plenty of questions, which I really like as well. And there's still that over sort of overhanging sense of dread to it as well, especially with the last couple of pages coming into it as well. So, yeah, and Undiscovered Country for me is going from strength to strength. Mm-hmm. So it is. I think it's getting better and better. And the art style again i love how different it is i think it's mm-hmm. it's it's great and it's instead of it just looking like the same book all the time it just gives it a freshness almost you know yeah it does it really does i mean the the whole style of the of unity you know and then but then Kevin Coley goes back whenever we see the destiny man again it goes back to that ugh, you know mad max type you know yeah really really interesting really weird and and strange and i don't know i don't know this 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 might look a wee bit more utopian but yeah. i don't know if it's going to be any less scary and concerning than the than the dystopian landscape we just come from yeah you do got to love some of the dialogue in this one though what you know when uncle sam first turns up and he's saying for now you're supposed to come with me to unity city and the answer is a city let me guess it's a city but it's actually made out of a mount rushmore except the president's heads are giant lobsters or something, and we need to beat up Davy Crockett and steal his coonskin cap and use it to unlock a secret door hidden in Abraham Lincoln's asshole. <laughs> Can't go wrong with that. But you can but understand. But answer is, yeah. is no, no, Davy Crockett. That's, uh, that's, a, that's a different zone completely. <laughs> that was probably Scott Snyder's pitch. <laughs> you might be right. You might be right. he says Davy Crockett, oh, no, Chang, not in unity. You'd find him over impossibility. <laughs> there's almost a, a weird disneyland feeling to it as well you know what i mean the different zones of disneyland yeah yeah I know, there's, yeah, there's yeah, a lot of undertones to, yeah a lot they, of undertones. they continue to walk the spiral um and it's almost like weird. a ride that you're going around all the different zones you know because they got here by a train and i don't know there's there, there's a lot going on in this book and yeah there is, I, there is. i'll really look forward to actually a, a good reread of it to this point um but yeah you've been silent for way too long rodster come on get throw some love out there Tell us about your favorite 80s comic. All right. Yeah, we'll go for G.I. Joe number eight. Um, really enjoyed this issue. Don't think it was up to the amazing number seven, but yeah, it was really good. Um, so this is Paul Aller. Um, we've also got Emma Viscelli on art too. Um, I really dug her art style. And uh, the colorist, Brittany Peer, is back on colors too. Um, this one, we're still we're still focusing on little different pockets of this universe. We're still not really delving into the overall story. We're focusing on little little snapshots of it. And this one followed uh, Bomb Strike, who ends up being a double agent for the Joes, and she sort of infiltrates. Dr. Venom and falls in love with him and there's a really great series of scenes there and her partner is Chuckles which I really enjoyed yeah throwback um yeah I really enjoyed this one um Dr. Venom and Overlord and a few others are responsible for the battle android trooper program and they're sort of trying to make a deal with things there's some really great really great scenes when you're first introduced to the um Battle Android Trooper, who basically, uh, what do you call him, Overlord, ends up instructing one of the bats to kill off this like idiot uh, server at one of the the Cobra compounds. Yeah, it was really, really interesting issue. 
threw up a lot of um, interesting dynamics with uh, Bombshell and all that double agent good stuff. Mm-hmm. Kind of felt um, kind of felt a bit Mission Impossible to me. Um, but yeah, yeah, really, really dug the art style of this one, and um, yeah, looking really kind of desperate now to see it all come together. I want an overarching story now. I'm mm. like, I am liking the snapshots, but yeah, I want to see a bit more, a bit more interaction. Do you think we're getting that? Do you think that's you know, is it so. about is it about the characters or is it, is it about, about the it yeah? But I mean, the, just the idea that Cobra, the tech company, has taken over the world is a uh, yeah, I, yeah. No, I agree with you, Roddy. I know what you mean. The more the more I talk, the more I think. Yeah, I'm really, I really want to see this resistance this happen. You know, yeah. so. Um, but yeah, the inclusion of Chuckles was an interesting one. Uh, definitely, I haven't seen him since uh, since Action Force the movie, yeah. you know, or or GA Joe the movie. You know, yes, um, that's right. Um, you know, and as he as he says, no one overestimates a guy in a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> great stuff, great stuff. Yeah, so that was GI Joe. Nice cover too, with the the bass have always been a bit of a favorite of mine, so that was nice to see. <laughs> well, another title I think we're all enjoying uh, now that we've convinced Roddy to come back to the dark side with it is uh, Wind. Number four ah. hit this week. Uh, we'll keep spoilers yeah. to a minimum because I know you're only you as far as issue three. Because they're big, they're big fellas. Uh, I managed to pick up all four so far, but actually haven't got to issue four. Just finished up issue three, which was fantastic. So, yeah, thank you for uh, you know keeping at me. Well, it's interesting. Yep. Wind is a uniquely structured book, and even a uniquely released book. I mean. Wind didn't actually get solicited traditionally through previews. It literally was put on a list two weeks before it came out as James Tinian's secret title. And then it's it's a book that comes out every time. It's 40 pages every time. It's got a $5 price point. But you do get a lot of bang for your buck with this, I think. I think really rich storytelling, really likable characters. It's a great coming-of-age story. And, you know, it's got relatable characters in it. There's plenty of emotion in issue four. So there is with like little flashback moments and and that kind maybe, of thing. Maybe it's another one for like a younger kind of audience, I think. Yeah, I don't know. There's some fairly adult themes as well. Um, I think. Yeah. Do yeah, you? Um, like a teenage audience. Maybe yeah, not the audience. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But... Um, yeah, that's great. They continue their, their, their journey towards Southport. And uh, and they uh, they meet a new character and uh, and uh, we learn a little more about the uh, what do they call them the 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 spritels, uh the little the little uh, wood Pokemon creatures that we see in the very first issue the wee leafy dudes. Um, so yeah, there's a lot a uh, wee bit more world building going on, but uh, I really enjoyed that last issue about the the mythology of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, this is this 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 issue four is a counterpoint because it is very much character driven, whereas the last one was was story driven. You know, with regard to the you know building that mythology and showing the history of the world, this is is very much back to the the, the character driven side of it. So yeah, really really enjoyed that issue too. Yeah, big fan of the artist Michael Dialnis conveys great emotion through the eyes. Uh, reminds me a little bit of. Uh... Drew's work on Canto, you know, just really, really expressive eyes, and you know, it's just, it's, it's great following these characters, as I say, it's, it's sort of a coming of age tale for them, and 
you know, a, a hit the road story, a big adventure. But I thought it was also great that, uh, you know, you got a bit more of the threat of the bandage span in this issue as well. So, um, yeah, great stuff. When does I say it's just going to be five issues? So one more just to go with that one. And then you can uh, keep an eye for the trades for that. Uh, got the bandage man and the shrouded man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Speaking of larger than normal issues, uh, here's another one for you two to chat about. I have this sitting all three issues ready to go, but I'd let it pile up a wee bit. Tell us about After Realm 3. Yeah, well, um, if you're going to read all three, it'll take you some time. Just chuggy, chuggy <laughs> books, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so this is the After Realm number three by Michael Avon Weming and Taki Soma. Um, this sort of, I don't know, quarter, it is a quarterly uh, release, is, yeah. you know, coronavirus notwithstanding. This is, um, if you love Dungeons and Dragons, Norse mythology, all that good stuff. Yeah, all your favorite games, new games. Yeah, it's, uh, this is just this mashup of that. It is. It, it follows the story of uh, of uh, Una Lightfoot uh, from the beginning of time to the end of time. She's an elf ranger who ventures into the wastelands of legend. She uses sacred rune dice, uh, which look very much like a like a a Dungeons and Dragons dice set to explore and remap the dead worlds and discover what has become of the old gods and what new threats loom in the after realm. And it was interesting. This one started with a quote from Graham Hancock, Graham Hancock, who's a, uh, he's a, a rogue archeologist, a bit of an alternative theorist in archeology, span um, who I've, I've read a lot of his books, fingerprints of the gods being the most, uh, I guess the most key of them, you know, and it's a Graham Hancock's theory is that, that we've misunderstood history and we've misunderstood the, the, the creation of civilization and that we're, we're, a, we're a race with amnesia, that there was a, a civilization of some kind prior to the ice age that, that has been lost, you know, and as the, as the, the birth of, of all the flood myths in all the, in all the cultures of the world, you know, the idea of, of one, one individual or a group of individuals surviving and, and, and passing knowledge on, you know, to, to, to cultures from on the other side of the flood, you know, that sort of way. So, um, so you, sorry, I, I sidetracked there a wee bit, but that, that's, no, no, that yeah. sounds, that sounds great. Never, I had never heard of him before. So yeah, well, there you are. I look are. into that. Um, but yeah, you must have loved this issue. Bit of Odin in there, bit of, yeah, <laughs> some trolls and, uh, yeah. and, and, and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. It was, and again, there's a lot going on, you know, the significance of Una's map and, the reappearance of the puka and uh, and all of that's the, you know these characters Nakomo that have been introduced and the idea of the the god wolf uh, Fenris and and Woden and these giant maggots that have eaten Wogan Woden and and therefore have taken on his memory that's you know the memory of gods it's it's really interesting stuff really yeah. interesting stuff and yeah crosses genres as well. I love Weming's art style. I love how it, it just looks like a you know a Saturday morning cartoon. It, it is everything I've ever really wanted in a comic. It's fantastic. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, it's great stuff. Great stuff. Um, probably I'll probably grab the first two again and have another read through them uh, and the third one before number four comes Cause, out. Yeah, because the um the first the first two were a lot of like flashbacks in them, but this mm. was maybe it caught up to what she was doing now. So. Yeah, it was the flashbacks were contained within a, you know, there was a, an initial 
tale of, of Una now that was quite confusing because you didn't have any context and then those yeah. two issues gave you the context to to bring you back exactly as you said you know did you notice that the do you notice it's a wee bit undiscovered country-ish you know on the yeah. wraparound cover there's a there's an american flag in the back as well which is weird you it's know it's only gonna get weirder it is only gonna get weirder yeah for sure i think uh, scott snyder might not be happy about that <laughs> <laughs> he's being out weirded Un- undiscovered after um yeah <laughs> that's the that's the sequel to follow i would imagine crossover <laughs> uh what did you think of alien the original screenplay number two after you wrote it i haven't read it <laughs> i've only read issue one so far ah. um yeah i think um it's a really it's fascinating i don't think it's like the best thing i've ever read but it's just like a really great i don't know like um artifact or something yeah um, yeah yeah find it so curious but um should say written the original screenplay was written by dan o'bannon adaptation is by cristiano sexas and art by guillaume balbi whose art is fantastic and then you've got Mm -hmm. colors beautiful colors from candace hand i really like the um it's so different their take on it is like obviously it's madly different and i really love the look of it um it's more, I don't know, it's more hard science fiction than truck mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yep. Yeah, it's really, it's intriguing. Yeah, I it's, don't know how to explain it. It's really... It's, uh, it's, it's intriguing and different, but familiar at the same time. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, and the, the, the way things look really are the, are the big... Are the big difference, because obviously the, this, this is how you, these concepts were... Of vehicles and 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 uh, you know things look the way they looked before, you know the the very well known designers and uh, who who were involved with Alien got involved. But different set of characters, different set of reactions, same dread, mm-hmm. uh, same horror. Uh, but yeah, very much enjoyed that second issue. It's the same the same sort of story beats too, because this one you've got got the face hugger. Basically, mm-hmm. towards mm-hmm. the end. So, yeah, uh, yeah good and job. Definitely, definitely, it'll be sad to see these Alien books end at Dark Horse because they're they've been really good. I really enjoyed Alien Three, but th- yeah. this one's this one's a wee bit different because it's I don't know, it's like the the opposite side. Whereas, like the Alien Three comic was the one everybody wanted, whereas I think people didn't think that uh, this that first script of Alien was up to much, but yeah, yeah, really, really cool. The covers are amazing too. Mm-hmm. Really, really dig that style. Yeah, yeah, very good. And uh, and another license that I've mentioned before that Titan Comics are making fantastic use of is uh, Blade Runner 2019, uh, issue 10 of that. Um, so we're following, uh, we're following Ace Blade Runner, um, Anna, Anna Ashina, known as Ash, uh, she's back uh, after having fled off-world. Um, after almost, uh, let me see, after seven years, she's she's back in uh, back in in Los Angeles uh, to hunt down uh, the, the 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 antagonist of the the the, the first six issues or so um, before she left six years ago or seven years ago. So um, she's she's tracked down uh, with the help of her old boss. 
uh, Wojciech. Uh, she's she's visit, visited the ruins of the Tyrell Pyramid, uh, which you know very well from Blade Runner, the the movie. Um, after after uh, things went bad, the Tyrell Corporation was dissolved and and destroyed, and, uh, and there was it all led up to the blackout of 22, 2022. But she finds a deranged scientist called Faust and. They're living and working in the ruins with a secret project, and that, that links to everything that's happened. And uh, you know, Ash accesses the Tyrell mainframe and discovers the the location of the guy she's looking for. And uh, uh, there's a whole lot going on, you know. It's but it's it's so good. It's very much in the aesthetic and the tone of of Blade Runner, uh, but it's an entirely new story, entirely original, uh, and just just so good, just so good. Um, so I highly recommend this. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how long I have to talk about it before you guys start reading it. <laughs> Soon, how many, probably a trade, how, a trade one. How many more issues are left then of 2019? Because obviously it's going to be moving on to 2029. There are there are two issues left of Blade Runner 2019, uh, which will take it up to issue 12, uh, and then uh, Blade Runner 2029. Then will start in in December, isn't it? Yeah, I think it was on our last previews podcast. So yeah, so I just wasn't sure so, yeah. if they were maybe taking a break before jumping in. So yeah, but uh, but yeah, it's just the it's just the, the the tone of it and the feel of it and the look of it. The art is by uh, Mike Johnson, uh, and he just the, the aesthetic is just fantastic. And the yeah, you know Michael Green obviously knows Blade Runner, having written uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Um, so yeah, highly recommend it. The question becomes is do you put on the Evangelist soundtrack while reading it? Of course you do. Of course you do. Excellent. That's good to hear. <laughs> Big fan of music with comics, but only if they're movie scores. Um, <laughs> cool. So that's going to wrap it up then for uh, the releases from the 23rd of September. So just like any reviews podcast, we do always like to finish off with a little look ahead to the titles we're most looking forward to. Now, we're recording this. The 30th of October's releases have already been and gone. Uh, we'll be covering that on our next podcast. But we're going to be looking actually at what's coming out this week, which is the 7th of October. So as usual, we'll always pick out three books each to look forward to most. For me, uh, three books are American Vampire is making its comeback this week. So this is going to be the last arc of American Vampire. Uh, it's subtitled 1976. And it's a number one. So Scott Snyder on writing duties and art by Raphael Albuquerque. One of how many, Alan? One of nine, I believe. Okay. One of nine. And I'm really looking forward to that. American Vampire is a big favorite of mine. And Snyder has been actually talking about going back to it for years, but just has got sort of bogged down in so much dc work and i'm really delighted they're they're bringing this back for him it, it started off as a vertigo title so it obviously started off as a uh, as a dc title under that banner but it's now under uh, your favorite label keith black label but <laughs> it is just standard size you'll be happy to know that's I, i've got no problem with black label it's the size that's the problem <laughs> so yeah, so really looking forward to that. Also this week, Jew is Batman 100. So this is going to be the culmination of the Joker War. So written by James Tinian and art by Jorge Jimenez. This is going to be an oversized issue. And given the very kind words I gave earlier about Batman 99, I'm really looking forward to uh, the wrap-up of this. And then the last one is an interesting one because issue one we read, I think, way back in March. 
uh, and we actually chatted about it a few weeks ago, a title called Spy Island, uh, mm. a Bermuda Triangle mystery. So this is a Dark Horse title written by Chelsea Kane, and artist is Elise McCall. Number two of that finally drops this week. But I think we're going to get tremendous value out of that, Keith, because I really think we're going to have to read issue one before reading issue two. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's only a four-issue miniseries, but love the first issue this stylistically really cool mm. really different to everything else out there so very much looking forward to that uh how about yourself roddy what stands out for you this week yeah so i think uh, this week's gonna be a big one for me we're kicking off with the walking dead deluxe who was talking about the walking dead earlier nice so um how many issues overall did it go 193 so if you want to do it all over again, if you haven't picked it up, now's the time. Um, we're doing it all over again in color, so that's pretty exciting. Yeah, just every, to say, obviously, that'll be a, a fortnightly release, so yeah, new, say, new issue every two weeks. Mm-hmm. Intrigued by that, so again, I think I said, Alan, um, I'll just get number one and see. Okay. I did exactly the same. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm yeah, worried yeah. what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, we've also got die number 14 um i'm gonna read you the blurb instead of saying anything about this this is the great game part four um hey stephanie shall we do die's take on big battles in return of the king sure thing kieran can you add some big emotional messy beats to that visual splendor sure thing and that that is their uh their blurb on the image comic <laughs> website so um, that'll be class really looking forward to that and then we've also got the amazing spider-man number 49 we are we're deep in the sins rising here and building up to the big uh big landmark 50th issue well so, this is already oh, a big sorry. landmark issue roddy this is 850 isn't it <laughs> this is, i mean i i'm critical of dc for their kai scrabs for variants yeah, and I did, I just, big yeah, issues but lost over Starting over a new numbering system so that you can do two in a row is brilliant. Fair play. Fair play. So yeah, should be should be good. Cool. So uh that's Roddy's three picks and Walking Dead Deluxe number one, Dive fourteen, and Amazing Spider Man forty nine. And how about yourself, Keith? Uh for myself, uh off the top is Matt Fraction and the Dodson's Adventure Man number four. I've been loving this series. Uh, yeah, it, it's a it's a top of the pile for me. Uh, sort of every time it comes out, uh, that sort of we've we've talked about it before. That sort of um, uh, sort of classic Phantom Doc Doc uh, Savage sort of Rocketeer sort of feel. So on the eve of the rise and return of the greatest evil the world has ever seen, only Claire Connell and her family can save us as the mantle of Adventure Man passes between generations. So uh, looking forward to that. Uh, looking forward to uh, issue five decorum from uh, from Mr. Hickman and uh, Mike Huddleston. Uh, there are many assassins in the known universe. This is the story of the most well-mannered one. Uh, so uh, I'm really looking forward to that. And last but definitely not least, Firepower number four by uh, Robert Kirkman and Chris Samney. As things go from bad to worse, as Owen and Kelly's night out turns into a nightmare, thankfully the kids are safe at home, aren't they, in this uh, martial arts thriller. 
so really, uh, really enjoying that. Really looking forward to that. So that is me, boys. So two big Kirkman titles this week. Fire power that massive juggernaut of a title, and then that wee small zombie thing that comes out this week as well. So For yeah. good luck to it. <laughs> you never know. It might it might just make something of itself. You never know. The little zombie book that could. Either that <laughs> either that or we're finally gonna get Robert Kirkman's aliens are gonna turn up in issue five. And he's just playing us all all this time. <laughs> that would be something. And you know what? You wouldn't put it past them to be nope. honest. Um nope. so yeah, so loads of great stuff to look forward to this week guys. Those are the releases then for the seventh of October. So that is going to do it for us then. So that is a roundup of the 16th and 23rd of September. We will be doing our best now to go back to weekly content. Uh, the 30th was a massive week. So much quality to talk about. So I think it'll need its own podcast anyway. Closing in. Closing in on getting back to normal. So Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's taking us a while. But, you know, we're, we're getting uh, there. We're getting there. There was a pandemic. There is a pandemic. <laughs> we got an excuse like yeah an excuse to read more (laughs) (laughs) yeah so yeah that's gonna do it so as i say keep an eye out for the uh for the dropping of the next podcast after this one it's uh it's a pretty cool one to keep an eye out for as well so in the meantime i hope everyone stays safe out there and uh, everyone's looking after each other i'd like to say thanks as always to my brothers in arms cheers keith thank you very much good night to you cheers roddy Cheers. Thank you. Keep on winging it. I was just about to say, I always leave the last words to you, Roddy. Hit me again. (laughs) Hit you? Really? Oh, you G.I. Joe fanboy. Blind fanboy. I don't care how crap it is. I'm still trying it. That's how I feel about Snyder Cut, so it's fine.